Well, it's thunderstorming outside right now. Raining, lightning, the power could go could go out at any moment. <laughs> so we'll try this anyway. So just to warn you, uh, this may just all of a sudden stop because the power goes out. If that's the case, just stand by. I'll come back on as soon as the power comes back on. Uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how it goes. I'm here in Kansas. And, you know, the weather can be unpredictable sometimes in the middle of the United States. If you don't know who I am, I am Matt Beat, uh, also known as Mr. Breast. I mean, Mr. Beat. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's, that's a meme, actually. Uh, and this is a tier list uh, stream. Not episode, stream. So thanks for being here. I, uh, I, the, the comments are cracking me up. Good to see some familiar faces as well. Um, but yeah, so we are going to do a tier list. For, uh, I've done several of these, by the way. I've done them for presidents. I've done them uh, for presidents again with vlogging through history, vice presidents, uh, f state flags. What else? A couple other things. And I'm finally getting getting around to doing a tier list for every failed presidential candidate in American history. Now, I have criteria. It's not going to be, obviously, all of them. Um, a lot of people have run for president and lost. The vast majority of them, 99% probably at least, have never really had much of a chance. And so if you're thinking about recent elections, it's like, oh, well, um, Ron Paul may be on this tier list. No, he will not. I was a Ron Paul fan. I loved Ron Paul, but he will not be on this tier list. Will Bernie Sanders be on this tier list? No, he didn't win his political party's nomination. So they have to be somebody who made it to the general election and had a, at least a decent chance of becoming president, but they did not get elected. Also known as also rans. Uh, they also ran. We forget about them in history. A shout out to the Warsh Ots, which is a, a band, one man band, that has made songs about every single failed presidential candidate in history. I've linked them in the description of this video. So when you're done watching this, you can check out all those songs that he has created uh, throughout the week, maybe. A lot of them I'm going to talk about tonight. So. Thanks for being here. Oh, thanks for the super chat already. Wow, Jacques, I appreciate that. I'll try to answer questions as well as we go through this. Um, so I've created this from scratch. Uh, I did spend a lot of time preparing for this. <laughs> Too much time. But uh, you know, some of you are digging it. So uh, let me go ahead and uh, share my screen. I put a link in the description also to this... Uh, template if you want to make your own and share them a great place to share them is the discord server and so if somebody from the discord server in the chat want to share the link to that um, i would appreciate that because i actually don't have a link on me right now but i can add it to the description later all right here we go so this is the one i created you can kind of get a preview of who i will be covering and yes you see recent candidates on there indeed I will be going up to the 2016 election. So Hillary Clinton is one of them I will be ranking on this tier list. Yeah, not, not right off the bat. We're going to go chronologically. We're going to go all the way back to the first presidential election in American history, 1788 to 89. <laughs> 
Oh man, thanks all so much. Thanks so much for these. Uh, no, I don't know exactly what this means, but thanks for that. We no. Uh, the rule is if they were ever president, then they are disqualified from this tier list. So he was president for. Oh, you mean like in twenty sixteen? No, he won. He won the electoral college. Come on now. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, I'm glad you've learned a lot. That means a lot. That's why I do this primarily is to inform, educate, get you to learn about American history. Usually it's American political history. So if you're new here, I have a lot of videos about American political history. <laughs> Although I think most of you are not new here. All right. Let's start off at the beginning with John Jay. John Jay is... Well, famously, probably um, the Jay Treaty during the Washington administration, but he also was had a good chance to become president. I'm going to put Jay at a B tier. John Jay, uh, a lot of people forget that in 1788 to 89 and also 1792, heck, even 1796, people were talking about this guy, even though most of his experience was, uh, you know, uh, in in the judicial branch, um, he had a good chance to become president or vice president because back then second place got vice president. Oh, uh, before I go any further, I, for I forgot to say my criteria for qualified candidates, it's uh, they had to be a major contender uh, and they couldn't later or before win the presidency. Also um, they, how I picked these or how I'm ranking these, I should say, is uh, a combination of, of character, leadership experience, and their policies slash platform. Um, so yeah, anyway, back to John Jay, a Federalist, a founding father dude, lots of dip diplomacy experience. Uh, now he, he did uh, come from a slave background. He owned slaves early on, but towards the end of his life, he called for the end of slavery. Now he said he wanted masters to free their slaves willingly. But regardless, you know, he had changed his, his opinion, similar to George Washington, about slavery. And uh, was, yeah, he was a, a co-author of the Federalist Papers. A lot of people don't know that about him. So I just think he was uh, an intelligent person. Also, he was governor of New York for a while. You're going to find that uh, to be a common trend, is that a lot of, <laughs> a lot of, People who ran for president and lost were former governors of New York. It's a weird thing. <laughs> I noticed that researching for this. <laughs> That's the Howard Dean scream. Thanks for that super chat. And thank you, Joel. Appreciate that. Uh, Perot is definitely, I would say, with, with the youth of America, still pretty popular. Yeah, definitely. Oh, thank you, DX. I appreciate that. An updated list of the best and worst presidents is coming. I'm not sure I'm ready to do it quite yet. Maybe next year, maybe after the, the next the presidential election, I'll be ready to do more recent presidents, but I still think more time has to pass. Well, thank you, Liar Productions. Uh, Oh, wow. Well, best of luck to you with your campaign uh, running for Congress in Tennessee. 
I was just in Tennessee a few months ago. It's a lovely state. I, uh, of course, I was filming my video for Andrew Jackson there. And also I have an upcoming video comparing uh, Memphis and Nashville. So got a lot of good footage. Yeah, my opinion definitely has changed <laughs> over <laughs> since I started my YouTube channel. So yeah, that's a good reason why I should I should update those videos. For example, Warren Harding is no longer the worst president in American history, in my opinion. Well, thank you. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you, Seth. I appreciate that. All right. I think I got all the super chats cut up. I think I already. Oh, yeah. I already did. Uh, thank you. All right. I think I'm caught up with this. Oh, one more. Would you do an India-Nepal compared video? Uh, I am more inclined to do India and China compared, but I will consider it. <laughs> All right, back to this. Is that big enough for you? Do I need to zoom in? How's that a little bit? Okay, yeah, so John Jay's a B tier. Next up, we jump ahead to, I mean, John Adams, of course, uh, later became president, so he's disqualified from this. So that means... Next up, we have another governor of New York, and that would be George Clinton. George Clinton, uh, I'm also a... F no, not that George Clinton. <laughs> All right, I got to find him on here. Where's he at? That George Clinton. All right, here we go. He is A tier for me. I'm a big George Clinton fan. Uh, one of the earliest... Uh, Anti-federalists, very outspoken, uh, saying, hey, we need a Bill of Rights. We need a limited federal government. And father founding dude as well. Um, he was one of the first Democratic Republicans. Uh, later was a, a vice president. That was in the 18th, like a few years after he was in the running for president. Um, but then later they, they nominated him again for his president. Uh, you know, uh, he was an elder at the time of the founding of the country. Uh, he was up there in age. Um, military background when he was younger. He fought in the French and Indian War. Um, but as far as when the country formed, he was one of those guys who was an anti-federalist, which uh, he was against the ratification of the United States Constitution in the beginning. But then over time, you know, oh, we got a Bill of Rights, then that's fine. Uh, I think, uh, oh, he's also the longest serving governor in U.S. history until recently, a few years ago, Terry Branstad uh, surpassed his record. So just an influential guy, uh, and especially with New York um, as governor. Um, yeah, I think he was a pretty solid politician, so A-tier. A We're starting off pretty positive. I like it. Now, uh, he had a good chance to win beginning in 1796. He got a lot of votes. Um, and even into 1800. Um, and then later, he, uh, you know, he, he was vice president, um, like I said. All right. So uh, what, how are we feeling in the chat? I'm going to try to check the chat as much as I can. I'm sorry if I miss any uh, super chat. Oh, there's another one here. President Grant was a general president during the inception of Colorado, the Colorado River Compact, and the general mining laws of 1870, I think it meant 1873. Uh, thanks for spitting out those facts, cowboy, and thanks for the super chat. All right. Next up, we have, uh, and you know, remember, election of 1800, that was uh, a rematch between Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, uh, former friends turned enemies, and then later in life, friends again. 
But then we go ahead to 1804, the election of 1804, and Thomas Jefferson is seeking re-election, and the Federalists decide to put up a different uh, candidate, a different type of candidate. Um, although, I will say that his brother also had a chance to win back in 1796 as well. I'm talking about the Pinckney brothers. So first of all, uh, there's Charles Coatsworth Pinckney, um, but there's also his brother, his lesser known brother, Thomas Pinckney. Uh, so we'll look at Thomas Pinckney first. I always got to find picture, pictures here of Thomas Pinckney um, was a uh, military officer. Here he is. Um, honestly, kind of meh. He's D tier. Come on, go up there. There we go. Uh, so Thomas Pinckney uh, was, you know, I wasn't that impressed researching this guy. I don't know. I didn't know a whole lot about him until uh, I, I prepared for this video, actually. Um, but he was not only a military officer He um, in the Revolutionary War and War of 1812 later on, but he was also a diplomat um, and a Federalist. Um, he was a military hero in the Revolution, Lots of diplo diplomacy experience. Uh, the Pinckneys were a prominent family in Charlestown in South Carolina when it was a colony. Um, he studied into your, I mean, he was an aristocrat, definitely. Um, but I just, you know, somebody who kind of, I guess the reason why I'm not too uh, impressed with him is because he really was not someone who took strong uh, positions on anything, politically at least. Um, you know, kind of meh, really. Maybe I should put him at C, I don't know. Uh, but it, it's just he was not that impressive. Now his brother is a little bit more impressive. Um, let's go ahead and jump ahead of him, yeah. The problem with his brother, though, is that he owned 250 slaves, and I just can't get past that. So his brother is Charles Coatsworth Pinckney. I'm also going to put him at D tier as well. Because, yeah, he uh, <laughs> he was a, a slave owner. Uh, he had a huge plantation in South Carolina. Also, Charles Coatsworth Pinckney was a, a you know founding father, um, a lawyer at some point. Um, but he also ran three, people don't realize he ran three times for president in 1800 first, and then 1804, and then 1808. His closest he got to, to be president was 1804, uh, I believe, is the, 1808 was not as close. I don't know. Either 1804 or 1808. I don't know at the top of my head. Um, but just not, he, he was kind of not a, uh. Not a forward thinker, um, this very pro-slavery. Um, yeah, not a whole lot to say. Um, although George Washington did like the Pinckney brothers, I will say that he liked them, but yeah. All right. Well, thank you, uh, Mad Dog of Pittsburgh. Oh, yeah, that's Stephen. Yes, Patreon supporter. Thank you for your support on... Patreon. And you're from Virginia. That's like my favorite state. So go Virginia. I didn't know that. Cool. Thank you. Oh, Michael Cortez. Good to see you here. Well, thanks for the kind words. I appreciate that. 
Jared, thank you so much. A number ranking of all U.S. presidents. I know Vlogging Through History did this recently, and I loved it, and I think I will do that at some point, definitely. So it's a great suggestion. Thank you, Jared. Oh, Harrison. Yeah, good to see you, Harrison. Yeah, that's a good, definitely a, a, a very astute observation there, Harrison. They're more fa favorable in hindsight if the president they lost to ends up being disappointing. Like Al Gore, I would say, is a very common recent example of that. <laughs> we'll get to Al Gore later. Tyler, thank you. Um, yeah, he owns slaves too. Oh, 1808 was the closest. Thanks for looking that up, Tyler. I appreciate that. Fact checking me in real time. I don't have this all by memory. Ridge, thank you so much. Oh, really? Holy crap. Thank you. They look you look forward to, to the most. Wow, that blows my mind. Uh, just curious, as a Floridian, have you ever been to St. Augustine? No, but I have friends that went there and absolutely loved it. Uh, if I went to Florida as, in an upcoming vacation, I think I would make it a, a priority that I visit St. Augustine. It seems like such a, a cool place. Yeah, it's a beautiful city. I actually met a, a couple on a cruise who were from St. Augustine. And the way they were describing it, I was like, why are you even on a cruise? You should just go back home and hang out in paradise where you live. Mark, thank you. Uh, from Rock Hill, South Carolina. Well, I was just talking about the Pinckney Brothers from South Carolina, founding father dudes. Would you consider doing a video on, and thank you for the kind words, Mark. Would you consider doing a video on presidential scandals? It's on my to make list. I've been planning on making a video. Uh, I hesitate a little bit because I kind of want to divide them out, like, you know, separate the teapot dome scandal, for example, from maybe some of the scandals of uh, Bill Clinton, you know. So I think I might separate them out instead of put them all in one video. But yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm still planning on doing that. With distinction between foreign and domestic policy, eh, I've kind of did a combination of that for this. Uh, this tier list, but yeah, I like that idea. And thank you, Simply Critical. Man, I'm getting a lot of super chats. I appreciate that. All right, so back to this. Um, so we are now up to, uh, you know, we're kind of going back and forth because remember a lot of these candidates, they were in the running multiple elections. And one of those was, believe it or not, Aaron Burr. <laughs> Aaron Burr was in the running. Now, many wanted him just to be vice president, but in, in 1800, there was a he almost became president because remember, there was a dilemma. There was a crisis. Thomas Jefferson and Aaron Burr had the exact number of electoral votes. And so they had to figure out, oh, crap, how are we going to solve this? And they ended up saying, oh, yeah, uh, Congress stepped in. Aaron Burr will, will be the vice president and Thomas Jefferson, the president. Uh, but Aaron Burr, I, you know, if you've watched my channel for a while, I'm not a fan of Aaron Burr. I understand that he was ahead of his time with, with uh, certain issues. Um, I'll go ahead and put him up here. I think he's one of the worst vice presidents in American history, if you've seen my video about that. F tier for Aaron Burr. I'm sorry. I know there's a huge Aaron Burr fan that watches my stuff. They even That's even their... Uh, PFP and their channel name, even though I, I don't think they have any videos. Uh, but Aaron Burr was just a rotten human being, in my opinion. He was not somebody of character. Uh, I thought his ego was out of control. 
Uh, you know, first the positive. Obviously, he was ahead of his time when it came to women's rights and uh, slavery. Um, he was fairly respected as a, as a New York politician working his way up. But it seems like the more power he got, the more unhinged he became. Um, <clears throat> he, uh, as vice president, infamously uh, <laughs> uh, murdered Alexander Hamilton and became a fugitive after that. He was never charged with murder. He eventually did have a trial. Uh, actually, he got in trouble more for trying to claim a chunk of the Louisiana Purchase in Texas to create his own empire and almost started a war with Spain. That did not all uh, work out, but still, um, because of all that, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, who was still president, he had literally, he had his own vice president <laughs> or former vice president arrested and charged with treason. Um, in 1807, he was actually cleared of those charges, acquitted. Um, but just a, I just everything I've read about him, I'm just not impressed with Burr. I don't care. Yeah, sure. He uh, he's more complex than the musical Hamilton paints him out to be. He's clearly a vil villain in that the musical does not influence my opinion of Burr. Just just uh, my research, my own research of history, reading primary sources about him. I just, I don't like him. I don't like Aaron Burr. I'm glad he was never president. I'm sorry if you're an Aaron Burr fan, all right? <laughs> yeah, there's some, there's already some Burr uh, fans in the uh, the chat. Based Burr. <laughs> yeah, all right. Moving on. So in, we already did Charles Coatsworth Pinckney. Next up, we have, one of my favorite people to learn about in American history, he had a good chance to win in 1812. I think that was the only official election that he ran. The Democratic Republicans were doing so well for so long. The Federalists were looking for a wild card, and they found DeWitt Clinton, who I tweeted about earlier today. I'm sorry, X'd about, whatever. That, that doesn't sound right. Uh, DeWitt Clinton, I think... Um, He's another one of those guys that did a lot of good. But at the same time, he was a slimy politician. He was not somebody who told the truth very often. Which sometimes you gotta stretch the truth to get stuff done. I get it. And he kind of did that with the Erie Canal, for example. Um, but overall, I thought it was just... A, he was a little shady. And so I will, I will rank him as a, a D tier if I can find his picture. Where is his picture at? Did I forget to put his picture on here? Oh, no, there he is. Okay. DeWitt Clinton, D tier. Yeah, we've had some uh, some bad failed presidential candidates now. Uh, so just to further elaborate on why I've ranked uh, DeWitt Clinton so low. First of all, he is the nephew of George Clinton, who I ranked as A. Uh so, you know, just because they're family doesn't mean I'm going to have the same opinion. Uh, DeWitt Clinton was, he kind of became prominent as mayor of New York City, later a U.S. senator for New York. He was interesting because he seemingly just said whatever people wanted to hear uh, to both Federalists and Democratic Republicans. 
And he, he got away with it because back then, you know, news traveled slowly. So if he was in New England, he would uh, pander heavily to the Federalists by saying he was uh, against going to war with Britain. And he told them what they wanted to hear. But then when he was out west, where all the war hawks were, he said, he told the Democratic Republicans out there, hey, I, I think we should definitely go to war with Great Britain. And so somebody who just pandered, now he's most known as the guy who was a responsible for the construction of the Erie Canal. And that's a huge deal. We can't downplay that. Um, but as, as a presidential candidate, I just don't think he would have been the best president. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he was probably, a, I would say, a solid governor of New York. But I think he his interests were New York. I think that was where he should have just stayed. Um, his views on infrastructure in general, as far as the federal government or any government for that matter, stepping in to like um, handle roads, building roads and canals, any kind of infrastructure was a, uh, it was influential. Yeah. He was, he was an influential guy when it came to that It influenced the later, the, uh, the Whig party, but regardless uh, I just don't, I think his character flaws make him go down to, to be a D D tier candidate. What do you all think? Huh? Huh? Didn't Burr try it? to create a country in the Louisiana territory. Yes, essentially he did. Thank you for that. Uh, that super chat, Nicholas, I'm not seeing Winfield Scott on your list. Please tell me he is ranked. He is absolutely ranked. He was the last Whig candidate. Indeed. Nicholas, don't you worry. He's on, he's down there somewhere. I, I, well, I, I put him in my notes here anyway. Uh, Colt of studios. Thank you again. I watched your video about life expectancy and you shouted out my city of, uh, yeah, I pronounced it wrong. It's uh, Hudo, not Hudo. I said Hudo in the um, the video, and um, a few people told me about that. But thank you for letting me know, um, <laughs> and thanks for the kind words. Yes, I try to be objective, but that's impossible, as hopefully you already know. Um, wow, look at all these. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> There's Calvin Coolidge, uh, the Codna one, two, three. Hi, Mr. B. What about doing an analysis of the GOP uh, Dem parties? Uh, the current ones, I will consider that. I don't like to do that, though. I like to stay stick with history because it's. I feel like my opinion is way too biased for to comment too much on contemporary stuff. I just don't think that's um, that's not something I should I want to do for this channel at least. Um, Where's Kingfish? I know, I know. He, Kingfish is not here talking about Huey Long. Uh, he just never really had a chance to become president. Uh, maybe he would have if he wasn't assassinated, but I'm sorry. One year out of school. Yeah, well, keep on learning, learning, Miranda. That's awesome. Glad to hear it. Shout out to my main men, uh, Walter Mondale and Al Gore. Well, thank you, Andrew, for the... Uh, oh, I remember your PFP. That's a That gave me nightmares last time I saw it. But thank you for the super chat. Oh, whoops. And I already got that one. I already got that one. I think I'm caught. Oh, a couple more. Okay. I wonder if in the end... Oh, Dante. Thank you, Dante. Uh, if Trump becomes a convic convicted felon for crimes he committed before he was president, when he was president, and after he was president, any commentary? Uh, I, uh, all I can say is it's not looking good for Trump. 
at all. It is not. Uh, we have to accept that he's probably looking at some uh, prison. Prison is a very real possibility, and uh, it's going to be crazy when that the verdict goes down. All hail Burr, another Burr fan, anonymous. Thank you for the super chat. <laughs> most overrated and underrated president. Uh, most overrated is uh, definitely, in my opinion. Um, well, this changes a little bit. Um, probably uh, Abraham Lincoln. Underrated, I would say uh, James Polk. Thanks for the super chat, uh, R. Watkins. And Oopsie Orange. Ever do a video on swing states throughout American history? Um, I kind of already did a short on that, um, but I plan on doing a longer form video eventually as well. But I did do a short on swing states. Great suggestion. Oh, Stephen, great to see you here. Thank you for uh, the super chat. Uh, Stephen uh, is a uh, social studies teacher in Oklahoma and a longtime viewer and really great back and forth with you. Uh, I hope you rate you, Eugene V. Debs. I'm not sure what kind of president he would be, but I find his life interesting. Yeah, I would love to make a video about De Debs. Debs is on here. I will get to him for sure. Thank you, stupid idiot. <laughs> Jack, thank you. Hi, Mr. B. Would you ever make a video about the Solid South? I've been fascinated by how we had a one-party state in the South for so long. I kind of already did a little bit with my um, party switch video, so... I don't know about that, but I would, I'll consider this. Yeah. Thank you for that, Jack. Andre, thank you. Have you read the Robert, Robert Caro or Caro? Caro series about LBJ? No, I have not. Obviously, probably. <laughs> I think it's the best presidential media I've ever come across. Holy crap. Well, I'm going to write this down here so I don't forget about it. Thank you for the suggestion. Yeah, no, I, I have not done that. I have not made a video about it. Lyndon Johnson either, so I'll have to re uh, read Robert Caro when I research uh, for that video when I finally make it. Charles, thank you. Do you think there is any point in voting for a third party or is it a waste, namely RFK? I think if you live in a solidly blue state or solidly red state, it's not a waste because um, if a third party candidate can get enough support, that means they get extra funding, which can help future elections. Um, so I, I personally, that's what I've done here in Kansas is a very red state. And that's why I almost always vote third party. However, it's a purple state. You, you shouldn't do that. I would not advise to do that because your vote has it's like mathematically, statistically, your uh, it has much more chance to make a difference. <laughs> so check those polls. Thank you, Maximus. I appreciate that. And one more here. Heath, thank you. Hillary Clinton, the first female president of Arkansas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I got another one. Oh, thank you. Uh, oh, Chris, thank you. Oh, a Hutto fan. Yeah, I've never been there. <laughs> I don't think I've been there. But yeah, Chris out of Austin, my good friend. Thank you, Chris. You didn't have to do that. All right. So back to the uh, the next uh Failed presidential candidate is um, Rufus King, another founding father dude, the last founding father dude to run for president. And he ran as the last Federalist who really didn't stand a chance against J James Monroe in the presidential election of 1816. 
Rufus King, in my opinion, uh, was a very solid uh, politician. Um, I think Rufus actually, uh, you know, he changed his mind throughout his life, which I admire. He originally was actually a slave owner, but later in life became a big opponent of slavery. He gained a lot of diplomacy experience um, over the years. Um, he was a uh, he represented Massachusetts at the Continental Congress and the Phil Philadelphia Convention and, you know, one of the signers of the Constitution, 1787, all that. Um, but then he actually uh, represented New York and he was a senator for, for New York a few years later. Um, so he uh, he was in office until 1796. He is essentially. Um, was uh, did he worked under George Washington? Um, he was also a uh, yeah. That's basically then the Federalists basically, you know, just kept trying to get him to run for president. But it wasn't until 1816, um, and he like I said, he was the last Federalist um, nominee for president because in 1820 the Federalists didn't really officially run run anyone. And he got his butt kicked in 1816 because the Democratic Republicans were so popular at that time, especially at the end of the War of 1812. And that's where we, we kind of essentially had a one-party uh, system there for a few years during the so-called era of good feelings. Um, I think Rufus was pretty solid. I would make, rank him as a B-tier. Rufus King is the B-tier. And such an awesome name, Rufus. How can you go wrong with that name? <laughs> All right. Oh, look who's here. One of my original supporters. One of my first Patreon supporters. Kind of like my first, maybe my second. Uh, Ian, thank you so much. E for every gamer. I appreciate that support here too. Would you ever do a tier list of movies about presidents based on historical accuracy and quality? All the President's Men, Nixon, JFK, etc. That's a great suggestion. The problem is I haven't probably seen enough movies to do it, but maybe this will motivate me to watch them all. <laughs> um, you know, I'm kind of a snob when it comes to these things. Like, oh, they're just going to get it wrong. It's not going to be historically accurate. And so a lot of times movies, like even Oppenheimer, I'm just like, okay, what are they going to get wrong? Uh, it's going to ruin it for me. The older I get, the less I'm like, you know, I care about that stuff, so I, I just need to get over that. That's just how I used to be mostly, so I need to watch more historical uh, movies in general. I know, I don't, right? You think I, that's all I'd watch. A lot of times I watch other uh, kind of stuff just to kind of, you know, escapism. It's about escapism. You got to you gotta get away from this stuff uh, every once in a while. All right, Michael. Thank you so much, Michael. Will you be doing a video on 80s metal on your music channel? We love to see Def Leppard or Megadeth. <laughs> Greetings from Warren, Ohio. Yeah, Warren's a great uh, city. Um, yeah, absolutely. Megadeth would probably be before Def Leppard. Iron Maiden, probably before Megadeth. So look forward to that eventually. I wish I had more time to make those. Zachary, thank you. I recognize, yeah, Zachary. Uh, good evening, Mr. Beat from Seaside, Oregon. I was wondering if you watched Lamino's new video on the JFK assassination and what are your thoughts on that? Uh, blogging Through History has a good good breakdown on that as well. Yes, I have not only seen the original video, most of it, it's long. It's like an hour and a half. I watched a little bit of Blogging Through History's breakdown as well. Um, 
you know, it's kind of hard. It's very good. It's very good. I am, had already been planning making my own JFK assassination video um, that is going to come out in November, and I'm still planning on making it. Uh, and now this has kind of like put more pressure on me to get this right because, you know, um, Lamino, I think is how you pronounce it, did such a great job, especially with like, it's just very accurate. The animations are incredible. Um, it's, yeah, it's just brilliant. If you get a chance to watch it, it's worth the hour and a half. Um, I'm not even, I wasn't even aware of their channel until that video got suggested to me. So yeah, check it out. Um, it's good. I like it. Uh, okay. Oh, thank you. Oh, Puerto Rico represent. Thank you, Darth Nova. Richard, thank you. Thoughts on, I got Nixon on the PFP. Thoughts on Bill Foster from falling down third party run to scoop up California, Arizona, and Nevada. Also, how do you rate Lyndon Jumbo Johnson? Uh, LBJ's, you know, still kind of mid-tier, kind of a mixed legacy for me. Honestly, I I don't know enough about Bill Foster to comment on him. I'm sorry. But thank you for the super chat there, Richard. Jack L. Yeah. Is this my Patreon supporter, Jack L? <laughs> of course, the stream happens the night I have a research paper due. Oh, yeah. Well, maybe this will help you with your research paper. I don't know. <laughs> but thanks for tuning in. So far, the thunderstorm has not put us out of power, so that's good. Andrew again. Thank you. Uh, would be actually great to eat, uh, with your bite. Okay, yeah. Well, I appreciate the kind words. Maybe on a separate channel, though. I, that's what I think I, would, I might eventually do. I don't like to mix this stuff too much. Andrew Gordon, thank you. Love your channel, Mr. B. I wish I would have found your channel years ago, so <laughs> you could have kept me from going down the alt-right rabbit hole. Oh, yeah, well, that kind of happened to me, too. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, also, do you have a Black Panther Party video planned? I, of course. I have a list of a thousand plus videos planned. Uh, who knows if I'll live enough, live long enough to complete all of them. That one's been on my list for a long time. In the meantime, check out Cynical Historian's video. Uh, it's not. I don't know if it's exclusively about the Black Panther Party, but he, he has one video. I can't remember the, which, what, what the name of it is. Just search Black Panther uh, Cynical Historian. It should pop up. Patrick, thank you so much for becoming a member. The Cod Knob one two three again. Uh, yes, I have definitely considered a video just about different campaign strategies for all these, uh, all of the presidents, and even the uh, runners up as well. That's a great suggestion. Uh, yeah, I tweeted about this. Just you know, I think it was a mini stroke, is what I, Mitch McConnell. I think that he needs to probably call it quits here soon because you know he's eighty one years old. Um, he's, I think his time has passed. <laughs> All right. Back to this. That's a lot of super chats. I'm sorry for those of you wanting me to move on with this. It's, I didn't expect that many super chats. Next up though, we got your boy, Henry Clay, Henry Clay, who ran for president technically five times. Henry Clay is, in my opinion, he has a better resume than anyone else in American history quite possibly anyone else. He was a Secretary of State, Speaker of the House, uh, incredibly influential in the Senate, a, a senator for several decades, probably the most influential U.S. senator of all time. He was also in Congress. Um, I already mentioned the Speaker of the House thing. 
you know, he first started serving in the Senate in 1806. He was in the Senate until his death in 1852. So quite a remarkable resume for Henry Clay. Um, you know, I didn't always agree with his positions on things, but this guy had the experience. He also was pragmatic, known as the Great Compromiser. Just Google Great Compromiser if you do that, or DuckDuckGo, whatever your search engine preferences, and and guess what pops up? I, th I think it still pops up for anybody. Henry Clay pops up. He's an A tier. Henry Clay's A tier for me. Uh, one of the best senators of all time. Uh, you know, from Kentucky. He uh, his views evolved over the years. Um, he united people uh, from different backgrounds time and time again. Um, he was often the glue that held Congress together and the entire country for that matter. I mean, Civil War could have came decades earlier if it were not for that one man. I mean, look at his relationship with John Calhoun, two men who had different views on a lot of things, but they were able to work together. Now, it helped that they both uh, hated Andrew Jackson, <laughs> but they worked together on big compromises. Um, yeah. I mean, the most famous compromise was the Compromise of 1850. Everybody now. Yeah, that was. A, so, yeah, if you study American history, American political history, and you don't at least respect Henry Clay, I don't know what to tell you. You're doing it wrong. OK, Henry freaking Clay. And he would have been a great president. It's a shame we never got to see a president, Henry Clay, because I think our country would be better off if we at least saw one term with him in there. All right, let's check these out. I don't want to... <laughs> oh, Charlottesville. That's like literally one of my favorite cities in the entire country. I love Charlottesville. Would you ever consider covering the infamous 1876 gubernatorial election in South Carolina? I heard about this uh, from multiple people. I still don't know much about it. But yeah, if you keep bringing it up to me, I am much more likely to make a video about it. So thanks for the suggestion there, Jackson. And thanks for the super chat. Joshua, thank you. Math teacher, heck yeah. And you like my content. You love my content, supposedly, allegedly. Garfield is your favorite POTUS. Uh, yeah, it is tragic. It, that's also another, you know, I wish we would have seen at least one full term with Garfield in there. Such a um, great leader, in my opinion, that we just never really saw... The potential there of, you know, it sucks. Jad, thank you. Never forget that the Pledge of Allegiance of our great nation was written by a socialist. You're right. Bellamy. The Bellamy salute. This is the Bellamy salute. Oh, crap. Do not screenshot that. Uh, that was the Bellamy uh, salute. Um, the socialist. 1892. That's right. He wrote the Pledge of Allegiance. Thank you so much, Risotto. Yeah, he probably won't resign. His term won't be up until, I believe, 2026? Yeah, so that really January 2027, which is crazy. Thank you so much, Al Lover. I love Al's too. Okay, back to this. So we uh, Henry Clay first ran for president in 1824. Remember, that was the crazy election where it was a four-way race between John Quincy Adams, Andrew Jackson, William Crawford, and Henry Clay. Well, 
John Quincy Adams and Andrew Jackson were president uh, at one point or another. So that only leaves William H. Crawford, uh, which, you know, I didn't know much about William Crawford and really until these last few months. I'd learned a lot about him when I was researching for my Andrew Jackson video. He was another one of those guys who talked trash about Andrew Jackson. So Andrew Jackson talked trash right back to him. But one of the things I learned about William Crawford is he actually was um, a, a pretty big fighter for Native American rights. He uh, he really, it was important to him to um, respect the integrity of treaties. He thought that Native Americans in general had been screwed over by treaties, and he, he really, uh, anytime that those treaties were being threatened or broken, he was like, hey, he stepped in. We shouldn't be doing this. He stood up for uh, especially the uh, Native Americans in the, South, in the Southeast, um, the Cherokee, Seminole, Choctaw. Um, anyway, I didn't know that about him until uh, recently. Also, William Crawford, you know, another impressive resume. He was Secretary of War at one point, Secretary of the Treasury during the... Um, Monroe administration, I believe, or maybe that was Madison, one or the other. He, you know, he's a Democratic Republican, uh, president pro tempore, uh, U.S. senator from, you know, he represented Georgia, a straight talker. He told you how how it was, um, and maybe that's also why Andrew Jackson and him gotten into in, got into it a little bit. Um, he before the election of eighteen twenty four, actually, his health was on the decline. He had a big stroke. But regardless, enough people wanted him in there as a um, as president. So, um, but he actually lived, you know, uh, another eleven years after that stroke. So I guess it wouldn't have mattered. Um, I think if you were to ask me about William Crawford before, probably he probably would have been like a C or D. But after this recent research I've done, yeah, I think he's a B tier. I think he's a B tier. So congratulations, Crawford. You're right up there with uh, Rufus King and John Jay. You did it, buddy. Congratulations. Upstate New York versus NYC. Ah, yes. Thank you, Nathan. And I've been planning on that for a long time. A long time. Thank you, Ryan, so much. Moonlight Productions is here. Yes, Adam, thank you so much. 1817-1876 election was an attempted abduction of Abe Lincoln's body in Springfield on election night. Oh, that would be a great video. I forgot about that. That's one of those weird facts in American history that few know about. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you so much for all the support here. Now we're moving on to our first third-party candidate in American history. So, you know, 1828 was just Andrew Jackson and John Quincy Adams. 1832... You essentially had four people in the running who had a good chance to win. Andrew Jackson running for re-election and everybody else who kind of hated him. Uh, the, the main dog was uh, Henry Clay, who we already talked about. But there was also John Floyd and William Wirt. First of all, let's look at John Floyd. Uh, John Floyd was a congressman, governor of Virginia. He was one of those guys who had kind of also changed his mind about slavery. He, he supported the eventual abolition of it, um, despite being a Southerner, you know, Virginian. He also was uh, somebody who's more aligned with, uh, I would say, 
James Monroe, James Madison, Thomas Jefferson, um, kind of the old uh, Democratic-Republican um, tradition, I should, I should say. Um, but he was just kind of randomly selected by John C. Calhoun to serve as the Nullifier Party's candidate, this new political party, the Nullifier Party. If you don't know anything about it, it's... Um, it, not, it wasn't even really a, a legit party. It was just something that was all, it was just South Carolina saying, you know what? We're tired of the federal government um, establishing these tariffs that's screwing over our uh, business interests, you know? <laughs> and so they, all they were about was like, you know, they wanted to be able to nullify federal laws. It was a state's rights party. And of course, related to that always uh, during this time in the antebellum South was pro-slavery, um, strict constructionism when it came to interpreting the Constitution. It meant only what it literally said, according to these folks, especially in South Carolina. South Carolina was always, you know, they were always trying to do their own thing uh, in, in the decades leading up to the Civil War. And that's, of course, where the Civil War started, Fort Sumter. <laughs> Yeah, dang South Carolina. I know some of you are from South Carolina in the chat and, and watching. Um, anyway, John Floyd, kind of meh, kind of like okay, you know, give him credit for wanting for calling for the abolition of slavery, but let's put him as our first um, C tier, John Floyd. And then also running in the election of eighteen thirty two was William Wirt, who I'm a bigger fan of. William Wirt was a U.S. Attorney General, before that a state legislator. He was the first true third-party presidential ticket um, and also the first true one to win a state election. His third party was the Anti-Masonic Party. He was the longest-serving attorney, U.S. Attorney General in history, which most people don't know that. I didn't know it until I first looked it up a couple years ago. Uh, extremely devoted to uh, constitutional law, a darn good lawyer who actually argued a bunch of really famous Supreme Court cases, uh, McCullough v. Maryland, Givens v. Ogden, Wooster v. Georgia, just to name a few. Um, he was, you know, somebody that people in, in different political back with different political backgrounds respected. And, you know, even though he was a Freemason himself at one point, the anti-Masonic party, who were all like against the elites and against the secret society that controlled everything. They nominated him because they, they viewed him as just like a, a good guy. Although Wirt really didn't want to run for president. Um, and actually uh, there was a, there was a historian I came across named William Preston Vaughn that wrote about uh, William Wirt quote, Wirt was possibly the most reluctant, reluctant and most unwilling presidential candidate ever nominated by an American party. And because of that, I admire you, William Wirtz, because I'm always drawn to those presidential candidates who really, you can tell, they just don't want to do it. They're only doing it because so many people pressure them to do it. So William Wirtz, I'm going to put you up here to A. You're going right next to Henry Clay and George Clinton. If you don't know much about William Wirtz, he is definitely a fascinating uh, figure who's mostly forgotten in American history. So I bet you I'm one of the only people on all of YouTube to even say the, the name William Wirt in multiple videos. So yeah, anyway. 
Uh, thank you very much, Nicholas. Uh, the founding father period is just any time where founding fathers dominated. Um, not only, uh, you know, 1787 obviously was the peak because that's when they created the, the Constitution at the Constitutional Convention, but also when they debated it in the years afterwards, up until 1791 with the uh, Bill of Rights being ratified. Uh, and then when they continued to dominate in Congress, so mostly the 1790s into the early 1800s, but that's basically it. I would not say you'd go to all the way to Monroe's presidency by, because by that time you had influence from a bunch of other figures who had nothing to do with the Constitutional Convention. Thanks for joining, Indu. Appreciate that. Good to see you. All right. Uh, yeah, if you want to become a member, I, that's also where you can uh, watch videos early before I release them officially. Next up, we've got Daniel Webster, the legendary senator, U.S. senator from Massachusetts from 1827 to 1841, later on 1845 to 1850. I would say only Henry Clay was more influential than Daniel Webster was in the Senate. Um, another guy who was a, a good at uniting different factions, and he was able to uh, be pragmatic to get huge legislation passed. Because of that, I think he was, um, he, he would have made a darn good president. Um, so I'm going to put him at A tier as well. I got a, this is my favorite portrait of Daniel Webster. Now, Webster, um, you know, he was also just freaking smart. Probably one of the smartest politicians in American history. He, he had basically memorized the Constitution, probably knew it better than any other member of Congress in, in history. Charismatic. He knew how to command the attention of audience audiences. Um, he, you know, basically worked with everyone. Um, he was strongly against slavery himself. He was a northerner, of course, of Massachusetts. That's historically been the most progressive state. Um, but he that didn't matter. He worked with everyone. And so I think that would have translated well to the president's presidency. Um and he's still one of the most influential members of Congress uh, of all time. All right. So uh, that leads us now to, so that's, that's, I'm, I brought him up because you probably forgot that he was one of the many candidates that um, the Whig party, the newly formed Whig party ran in the presidential election of 1836 against Martin Van Buren. So the Whigs had this really unique strategy. It only, they, a political party has only done it once in American history, and that was 1836, where they wanted to um, just throw four different candidates, one in different regions of the country, to do the favorite son thing. We're like, oh, we can fragment the, the um, votes so that we get one of our guys in there. It backfired. People united against Martin Van Buren, and he ended up winning 15 states in the election of 1836. And the only one who came close to that was uh, William Henry Harrison. Um, and he won seven states. Uh, now, he would run again in 1840 and, and win, but yeah, and then die promptly after that. But yeah, uh, other than Daniel Webster, uh, you know, you had technically Henry Clay, but we already talked about it. You also had um, this guy named Willie Mangum who I still don't know a whole lot about, Willie Mangum. Uh, he was a, a U.S. senator from North Carolina, 
president pro tempore of the Senate, also a congressman at one point. Um, you know, everything I've learned so far about him, he was just kind of like your typical Southerner. Um, you know, he was a slave owner um, in the 1830s. Not a good look. That late, you know, he was pro-slavery all the way. Um, I just didn't really... I wasn't that impressed with Willie uh, Magnum. So, um, even if he may have been forward thinking on a couple issues, just not a big fan. So I would probably put him at, uh, F tier. Gotta find his picture though. Where, where's your picture at buddy? Hmm. Did I forget to put him on here? It's a possibility. Well, he didn't have much of a chance anyway. He only <laughs> he only had one uh, state that he won. Um, that was his home state, I think. No, or wait, no. What was his state that he got? I don't know. I don't even remember. Where's he at? Come on now. All right. That sucks how they mix them all up on here and, it, and you lose track of them. Yeah, I think I left him off here. Don't see him on here. That's a that's a shame. Sorry, Willie. Well, he would have been F tier. <laughs> if I come across him later, then I'll I'll sneak him on there. What's our oh my gosh, what a question, Andrew. I'll have to answer that later. Remind me later to answer that. Uh, I will look into this. Uh, make a note of this. You should be showing up. Okay, I will look into it. Hu Hubert Horatio Humphrey. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure why, what happened there. Sometimes things get deleted off the list. I'm sorry about that. Ryan, thank you. Starting a campaign for John C. Fremont for S-tier. <laughs> Luke, would you consider making a video comparing the anti-Masonic movement in the early 1800s in QAnon? Greetings from Bloomington, Indiana. Uh, thank you, Luke. That's definitely a, a good idea. I like that. Um, there's definitely some parallels there. Jake, thank you. Uh, you and Mr. Beat, when you're going to do a video on Huey Long. <laughs> and thank you. Yeah, uh, that's going to happen at some point. It's just, I think... Uh, what kind of put me on, on a pause for that was um, Emperor Tiger Star already did a video about him. So I was like, okay, that's good enough for now. And I think that's why that why I put that on the back burner myself. Um, all right. So without Willie P. Magnum on here, which again, we don't see him on here, do we? Yeah, he's not on here. Um, we are going with uh, Hugh White. Uh, oh, also, who was not impressive. Hugh White, um, yeah, like uh, you, a lot of the same things I said about Willie Magnum, Mangum, Ma Mangum, I can never pronounce his last name. You could say about Hugh White. Um, so maybe they go hand in hand. So yeah, F tier for Hugh, Hugh uh, White. Um, now Hugh White was... Uh, Did I get his name right? 
Gosh dang. Yeah, Hugh White. He was uh, from Tennessee. I felt like I, it didn't sound right. Hugh Lawson White. Um, another uh, Southerner who was a slave owner, who uh, was a states' rights advocate. Um, pretty in line with Andrew Jackson, actually. Pr- pretty much a protege of Andrew Jackson. Although later in life, uh, he obviously he was a Whig. By this time in 1836, he was with the Whig Party. So he had kind of changed his ways on, on that. Um, and I think a lot of it was just like he had beef with Jackson after a certain point, but yeah, not that impressed with Hugh White either. All right. So now we're up to the election of, uh, well, 1840. No, because we had two guys that were both president, William Henry Harrison and Martin Van Buren. Uh, and same with the election of 1844. Well, we already talked about Henry Clay. Sorry. So we already did Henry Clay and James Polk was president. So, yeah, we're jumping ahead to the election of 1848. This was a three-way race uh, between Zachary Taylor, the Whig candidate, uh, Martin Van Buren, the Free Soil candidate, you know, the Free Soil party I have a video about. That was basically a one-party or a one-issue party driven by the, uh, the desire to stop the expansion of slavery out west, and Martin Van Buren was all for that. Um, had left the Democratic Party by that point. And so, yeah, the other candidate was Lewis Cass, who was with the Democratic Party. Lewis Cass, um, meh, he was a governor of uh, Michigan. Um, was he governor? Or no, he was a senator from Michigan. He was all, actually a very influential senator, one of the most influential senators of the 1800s. President pro tempore of the Senate, which means that's the second highest ranking position in the Senate after the vice president. Uh, later on, he'd have a, you know, he'd be working with James Buchanan um, as Secretary of State. Um, and what's interesting about Lewis Cass is even though he was a northerner, he um, owned slaves. He was a slave owner. A lot of people don't remember that about Lewis Cass. They do remember that he was not mm, not the most attractive man. Some of the pictures, <laughs> poor guy. Um, but that didn't matter as much back then, thankfully. I wish it didn't matter today, actually. Um, but he was all about popular sovereignty, just like Stephen Douglas. So you all, if you've watched me for a while, know that I hate popular sovereignty, that I thought that that was very destructive for uh, the United States. The Kansas-Nebraska Act in particular was one of the worst laws, if not the worst law ever passed in American history. And Lewis Cass was all about that law as well. Um, while he did a bunch of good things in the uh, the Senate, fairly pragmatic, I think overall, I don't think he would have been a good president. Um, and so I would pay, I probably, you know, maybe I'll give him the benefit of the doubt because he was able to accomplish a lot in the Senate. Um, but because it's it kind of the good and the bad kind of cancel each other out. I'm going to put uh, Lewis Cass at C tier. C tier. So he's actually we have we have no S tiers yet. That's surprising. Why do we not have any S tiers? What's going on with this? Come on, Mister Beat. All right. So that was the election of 1848. Um, you know, it was actually a closer election than people realize. Um, Zachary Taylor did not get a majority of the vote in the popular vote that, that um, 47.3% and uh, Lewis Cass was 42.5%. Uh, 
Wiggs never really had like a landslide victory for president. Um, the last major Whig party candidate was Winfield Scott. But before we talk about Winfield Scott, um, also we got to recognize that John Hale was also somebody who had a good chance to win the presidency. He also uh, he ran for the Free Soil Party. Um, actually helped start the Free Soil Party. And if you've seen my best um, senators video, um, you'll know that I he was one of my favorite senators in American history. And most people have never heard of John Hale. Uh, where is he at down here? John. There he is. I think he would have been, been an amazing president, not S tier, but A tier. John Hale um, was courageous. Like he was unapologetic with his um, devotion to abolitionism. He was, uh, did not uh, hold back. <laughs> One of the strongest abolitionist voices in Congress. And again, he helped start the Free Soil Party. Um, he was one of the few senators to vote against the Fugitive Slave Act, like a boss. Um, he spoke out against the gag rule, which prevented Congress from discussing certain topics, you know, like slavery, which they always seemed to avoid. He was uh, anti-imperialist, um, a strong opponent in the Senate of the Mexican-American War of Aggression that I, was, you know, if I was around back then, I would not have been a fan of. Um he also, this is a random thing, but he got the U.S. Navy to stop flogging, which uh, Horace Greeley may have had something to do with it. We'll learn about him here in a little bit. But overall, um, somebody who kind of was just, he was an outsider, um, sometimes broke away from his party and made people in his own party upset. Um, and Yeah, I mean, obviously he helped start a third party. So I just appreciate that. We'll just ignore the fact that his uh, his daughter was supposed to get married to John Wilkes Booth. We'll just ignore that, okay? John Hale. All right. Uh, would you... Oh, I already did that one, okay. Oh, thank you for joining, Penman. S-tier became president back in the day. <laughs> All right. So we are up to uh, the election. We're still at the election of 1852. I know we've had some of you waiting patiently for Winfield Scott. Winfield Scott, I got to say, the more I learn about Winfield Scott, the more I admire him. Um, old fuss and feathers himself. Um, longest serving general, active service anyway, in American history. Commanding general of the U.S. Army, war hero of the Mexican-American War. Um his troops loved him, but also he was just very intelligent with how he was able to conduct um, that war. But he was—he looked at, out after his troops. He looked over them. There's a famous story um, that I came across. There was this cholera outbreak among his soldiers, uh, and they were on this ship during the Black Hawk campaign. And by this, uh, on this ship, the the ship's doctor, the surgeon basically got the disease and couldn't help out the other folks that got cholera as well. So everyone had cholera. So Scott, as the doctor was sitting there kind of dying himself, 
uh, had the doctor tutor him and like teach him basically how to do treatment on the other soldiers. And he risked his own health by tending to all the other sick troops himself. So a very admirable man, a good man, integrity. Um, yeah, Winfield Scott. Gotta love him. I think I'm going to put him... Now, as far as a good president, I'm a little bit iffy because he didn't have any political experience at all. Otherwise, I would put him as an A, A tier. But um, B tier for sure for Winfield Scott. Um, I think he's mostly known as you know for his leadership during the Mexican-American War. But a lot of people don't realize he actually sought the Whig presidential nomination three times. So not just 1852, uh, three times before 1852, actually, as early as 1840, 1844, and 1848. 1848, he had a good chance. This is right after the war, Mexican-American War was over. Um, but yeah, like he didn't get the nomination until 1852. Um, but yeah, uh, one of the greatest... I think military talents that we've had in American history, um, you know, very accomplished. I think that would have translated fairly well to president. Uh, I think some of the best presidents we've had were military men. Obviously, if you have watched me long enough, you know that I, my favorite president of all time is George Washington. My second favorite is Dwight Eisenhower. <laughs> so, uh, they were military men and they knew how to lead a diverse group of uh, troops and they did well with that. Um, my only concern is like, I don't think he, I think he was a bit in over his head, everything I've seen about Winfield Scott. So that's why I put him as a B tier instead of an A tier. What do you think? I know we got some Winfield Scott fans here. We're going in order of when the elections happen. So right now we're just at 1852. Yes. Okay. Henry Clay should be S tier. Eh. Love the vid. You said earlier that you watched. I have not watched Oppenheimer yet. I have not. I plan on seeing it. Uh, no, I have not seen it yet. I can't find anyone that wants to go with me. <laughs> I don't like watching films in theaters by myself. I don't know. <laughs> Nice, Ryan, and thank you for that. Okay, so uh, moving on from the election of 1852 to the election of 1856, uh, a classic three-way race. We had James Buchanan, the Democrat, versus Millard Fillmore, who uh, was the <sighs> American or Know Nothing Party. They nominated him, even though he didn't really want to be with that. But he kind of he, he didn't want to be with them. He was not a nativist. But he, he went along with it. But regardless, he was already president before anyway. So that just leaves John Fremont, who many of you are aware of. John Fremont was definitely one of the most interesting people in American history. He was the most interesting man. Now, political experience, you know, he was a senator from California. Before it became a state, he was like a what you call a, quote, shadow senator. Uh, I'm not even sure what that means. But uh, before that, he was like, he was an explorer. And he was one of the first uh, American settlers of California, military governor of California. A lot of people don't know that he was married to uh, Senator Thomas Hart Benton's daughter, Jessie. 
And Jesse deserves her own video. Uh, she was remarkable. Jesse um, Fremont, Jesse Benton Fremont. Um, she essentially single-handedly ran her husband's campaign when he ran for president in 1856. People loved her just as much as they loved him. So if you ever, uh, if you want to go down a rabbit hole, check out Jesse Fremont, the wife of John Fremont. But back to John, you know, she's not on here, so it's John. Uh, I think he was a pretty solid uh, candidate. Um, somebody who was, you know, very anti-slavery and did not apologize for that uh, in a very divisive time. Bold with that. Um, now, obviously, he had some personal issues from time to time. Well, not obviously. Many of you probably don't know that. Um, he often he got in trouble for insubordination, actually, <laughs> and he kind of just sometimes went off the script or just kind of did his own thing. Um, and it was controversial. Uh, some historians say that he constantly was a hypocrite, contradicted himself. Um, he's a complicated man. So I do go back and forth about John C. Fremont, uh, but overall, I think because of the the good and bad, I'm just going to put him in the middle. I'm just going to put him as a C tier. I know, I know, we got some John Fremont fans that you're disappointed by that. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's preposterous. What? Well, why? Why should sunscreen be banned? <laughs> but thank you, political chatter. Check out the political chatter, by the way. You're a stupid idiot again. Why are you so mean to yourself? Will we ever do a video on what the presidents did in their spare time, what their hobbies were? Absolutely. It's already planned. It's coming this fall. <laughs> I've already done preliminary research on it. So, yes. You, you know me. You know me. Well, hello, Chase from Pennsylvania. Any favorite people from Pennsylvania history? Oh, putting me on the spot. Uh, how about William Penn? My favorite, the, the dude who founded Pennsylvania. How about Benjamin Franklin? Hello. Eduardo. Ed, Eduardo. Oh, gosh. Ed, Eduardo. Why, why am I having a hard time saying your name? I'm sorry, but thank you for the super chat. Hi, Mr. B. What do you think? What do you think changed the way to nominee a Supreme Court justice and change the term to 12 to 15? Reading from, oh, from Brazil. That's awesome. Uh, yes, that's good to have these debates. Um, I do think it that a life term is a bit too long. I'm, I'm in favor of a longer term. I think 12 to 15 is not long enough. I, I propose at least 20 years, maybe 25. Um, I'm totally for that, definitely. And I also think the Supreme Court probably should be bigger than it is now. Over a long period of time, obviously. I'm not saying pack the court now to help one side. I'm saying over a period of maybe even, you know, 20 years. So, but thank you for bringing that up. All right, back to the um, failed U.S. presidential candidates. We are now up to the craziest presidential election in American history, the one that took place on November 6th, 1860. And that was a four-way race. And the direct consequence of this election was the American freaking civil war. So that's why, you know, when anyone, anytime anyone asks me what was the most important um, consequential, consequential um, presidential election in American history, it easily, hands down, it's 1860. 
a four-way race. Abraham Lincoln won that, um, but, you know, he only won it with 39.8% of the popular vote. Did a lot better with uh, the electoral vote. But uh, second place was John Breckinridge, the former vice president, well, the vice president who was currently vice president to James Buchanan. Uh, John Bell was third place with the Constitutional Union Party, and fourth place was, was Stephen Douglas with the Democratic Party. That's right, the Democratic Party, who was supposed to be part of the the two major political parties, was got four fourth place because of the uh, splintering of it. Um, because Breckenridge supporters and Bell supporters, most of them were former Democrats. So first off, we've got John Breckenridge. Uh, if he would have been elected, he would have been the youngest president in American history. A lot of potential there, but uh, yeah, he fell on the wrong side of history. Uh, he was he was the youngest ever vice president um, uh, with the worst president in American history, <laughs> James Buchanan. Uh, and he, you know, maybe he didn't do that bad. I mean, he did a decent job as Veep. Um, he was a popular guy. Even some Northerners didn't mind him so much. However, um, we know we saw his true colors with the Civil War. Um, he was uh, unabashedly pro-slavery, and uh, he was a Southern Demo Southern Democrat. Um, after he lost the presidential election of 1860. He um, defended the Southern cause by saying, quote, I exchange with proud satisfaction a term of six years in the Senate of the United States for the musket of a soldier. And he then immediately enlisted in the Confederate Army and, of course, got kicked out of the Senate. He was charged with treason, as many others were. Um, he did fight in, on the battlefield for the <laughs> Confederate Army. Um, but then after he realized the Confederacy was going to lose, he fled the country Ended up in Cuba, later Europe. Um, never got back into politics again, but he did finally come back and uh, was eventually eventually pardoned. Um, but somebody who was just, you know, a traitor, man. A traitor. Not Trader Joe. A traitor. A, a tra traitor. Traitor. No, not a traitor John either. Uh, tra John Breckenridge was a traitor, and so because of that, I'm going to put him in F. I'm sorry. He might have been maybe... It, down a different path. Yeah. Uh, and also the election of 1860 was John Bell, who was uh, a slave owner himself, but he opposed the expansion of slavery out West. He did make the issue of uh, just union, like it's in the, the name of the political party he ran on, this third party. I mean, his big thing was, you know, secession, bad, staying together as a country, good. So more than anything, he wanted to preserve the union find a way where they could keep making it work. Um, John Bell, by that time, was an older man. Originally, he was like one of the earliest Democrats who supported supported Andrew Jackson. Um, uh, you know, I guess gives, give the guy credit for wanting to unite or keep the country united despite, you know, the ine inevitability of a civil war. Um, but yeah, I'm going to put him at C tier. John Bell. Hmm, where are you at, John Bill? You're on here somewhere. I know you. I saw you earlier. There you are. C-tier John Bill. 
And then that that finally leaves Stephen Douglas, uh, another one with a good resume. Stephen Douglas was, uh, of course, the he had a lot of experience specifically in Illinois politics. He was a U.S. senator from from Illinois before that in the Congress. Supreme. He was actually in the judicial branch. He was a uh, a judge for a while in the Supreme Court of Illinois. A lot of people don't know that. He was also in the executive branch. One of the few people in American history to be in all three branches of government. So he was a, the Secretary of State of Illinois. Also just a charismatic dude, heck of a speaker. Famously got into a, a series of debates with Abraham Lincoln when they competed uh, in the Senate race in 1858 for Senate of Illinois. He won that race. Um, so that kind of that's impressive that he was able to defeat Lincoln. Later, he became an ally of Lincoln. After the Civil War broke out, he uh, did whatever he could to you know support the Union cause. But he tragically died at the young age, I think, of forty-seven. So not much older than I am. Uh, and in June of eighteen sixty-one, I had a whole video about what if he won the presidency instead of Abraham Lincoln that you can check out. Um, I'll, maybe I'll put it in the description of this video, but. No, I think he would have been solid. I give him a lot of crap about the Nebraska, the Kansas-Nebraska Act and popular sovereignty, but I think his leadership experience, his character was good enough where he would have been pretty solid. So I would have said uh, Stephen Douglas will be a B tier. B tier for Stephen Douglas. There he is. All right, so we're uh, still no S tier. Now we're up to the election of 1864. Oh, that was my stomach growling. I guess I didn't eat enough for for uh, <laughs> dinner. Thank you, Scott. I appreciate that. Oh, I meant to do this. Ask me a question. Thoughts on slash the cash for campaign finance ref? I don't know what that means, but I will search it up later. <laughs> Darth Hideous 32. Thank you. Hi from Illinois. Oh, just talking about Stephen Douglas. How about that? Thoughts on the politics of the historically corrupt state? Any standouts come to mind? There are so many corrupt state legislators and governors from Illinois. I don't even know where to begin. Um, it, check out my worst governors video, and you'll you'll see some of my thoughts there. Yeah, it's just easier to direct you to my worst governors video. Sorry, Illinois. Still a great place, and Chicago is one of my all-time favorite cities. So, all right, we are at the election of eighteen sixty-four. Um, George McClellan, the former head commanding uh, general of the U.S. Army, commanding general of the U.S. Army, until Abraham Lincoln fired him, and he should have. Uh, you know, George McClellan was not doing uh, well at all. Um, he was just not the best general. Um, but remember, George McClellan didn't lose. He merely failed to win. That's one of the best memes I've seen in recent years. Um, I'm sure we already have people in the chat saying that. What do you think about Fremont? What do you think about him? <laughs> F tier for McClellan. Oh, man. Michael, you don't like McClellan. I don't think he's F tier. Uh, so before I reveal where I put him, um, he, you know, was somebody, I think his biggest thing, 
He supported the continuation of the Civil War. He supported um, the restoration of the Union. You, you know, he believed what Lincoln believed. Uh, but he also didn't believe in the, in the abolition of slavery, which I thought that was poor leadership there. The other thing is he ran for this, uh, he, he, he ran against Lincoln uh, going against his supporters his supporters mostly originally they said, "Hey, we need we need an immediate end of hostilities. Get out of this war with the South. Let them do their own thing." And McClellan basically went against his supporters, and so he had a very inconsistent campaign because of that. Uh, and that hurt. I think that's a big reason why he didn't get elected. Um, but you got to remember, though, I think something about McClellan is he was actually it's so remarkable to, to read about how much his troops loved him. His troops adored him. So I think he had the leadership skills there. So because of that, I don't think I would put him at F. I think I'd put him at D. And so and I know some of you are even McClellan fans here. So but no, I, I just don't think he uh, because of his inconsistencies. Uh, running, you know, uh, it didn't matter even that Abraham Lincoln... I mean, remember, Abraham Lincoln was controversial back then. In 1864, a lot of people hated Abraham Lincoln. But McClellan also just... Mm, he really uh, upset a lot of his supporters, his own supporters who orig originally were there for him. Okay, so we finally made it through the Civil War. Jump ahead to 1868 now. You got Ulysses Grant, the Republican, against Horatio Seymour, who uh, is also one of those presidential candidates uh, that, you know, five years ago I didn't know much about him. I liked his uh, facial hair, but, uh, you know, on paper he looks good. Meh. I didn't really have a strong opinion about him. But the more I learn about Horatio Seymour, the more I'm impressed with him. Uh, he definitely had integrity, integrity, lots of uh, political experience, another good resume, but also he didn't want to be president. He was one of those guys, and you know how I, I said this earlier, I'm biased to be, um, supportive of candidates who really don't want to be president. To me, that's a sign that maybe you should be, if all, everyone around you is pressuring you into doing it, um, he was one of those guys, I mean, he was a Democrat, but he also supported the Union war effort. Um, you know, he he criticized Lincoln for certain things, but he also was pretty pragmatic. Um, I would say that um, he was one of those guys kind of similar to, to John Bell, but from the North. Oh, another governor of New York, by the way, another governor of New York that um, lost a presidential election. <laughs> um, but yeah, like... Uh, Again, somebody who was willing to uh, form coalitions and create compromises in order to keep the country moving forward. So, um, yeah, I mean, solid guy. I can't get too passionate about him, but we'll go ahead and we'll put him in at B tier. Horatio. Also another cool name. What picture did I pick out for you? Yeah, there he is. Look at that facial hair. So C tier for Horatio. I go back and forth between B tier and C tier. 
tier for him. What do you think? What do you think? Leave this up to the chat. What B tier or C tier for Horatio Seymour? I don't think you have strong opinions about. You think he would have messed up re- reconstruction? I mean, he could have messed it up more than Andrew Johnson. Ulysses Grant was okay with reconstruction. He was definitely really good with a couple things. Yeah. Fair point. I feel better about my decision to make him as a C tier. Okay. Uh, oh, thank you for also for the... Uh... Thank you so much. Fun time, bruh. <laughs> All right, so uh, jumping ahead to the election of 1872. Oh, one of my favorite um, people, period, in American history to learn about, Horace Greeley. Horace Greeley was a, most famously, a journalist, actually. Um, An influential journalist uh, and editor of the, the New York Tribune. Um, he tried politics. It didn't work out very well. He was only in the U S house for three months and then got nothing done, but got a lot of attention. He knew how to get attention, uh, kind of like Marjorie Taylor green or, you know, or Alexandria, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. They both get a lot of attention, but they don't necessarily create a lot of legislation. Um, Greeley though, man had some, a fascinating story. He was a rags to riches fellow. He worked his way up, um, in New Hampshire. Um, he got involved with the Whig party, um, helped William Henry Harrison get elected. And then like, yeah, really like he kind of pushed the national narrative with so much in, uh, in newspapers. Um, the New York tribune under his leadership became the highest circulated newspaper in the country and people all over the country got it. Um, the problem with him, you know, always giving his opinions in these papers is that he always gave his opinions. And so everybody saw every opinion he had. And some of his opinions were out there. I won't go into all of them, but he did have fascinating beliefs as well. And that kind of, you know, that's some some of them were a bit eccentric. Actually, some speculated that he may have um, had Asperger's syndrome. So I I found that interesting, but um, some kind of wacky beliefs, you know, I like wacky beliefs sometimes, you know, but overall, uh, and then of course, like, you know, he famously, um, after the election happened, but before inauguration, he died. Uh, So he actually died right after the election of 1872. Um, which was, uh, he still got a lot of electoral votes despite him being dead. Um, but they had, a, you know, figured that out. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, I just think he, he, overall he was a pretty, uh, cool dude. I mean, I didn't agree with him on certain issues like, uh, prohibition. He called for temperance and prohibition. Um, but a lot of issues, he was actually really ahead of his time. Um, maybe would have been a little bit too wacky to be in a leadership role though. So I would probably, instead of having be a tier B tier and also great hair, a lot of great hair from this time from 1870 to 1890 peak facial hair and a, a time for, um, American politicians, which is just really mostly white men, of course, obviously, uh, <laughs> 
All right, 1876, Tilden was robbed. Yeah, we have Rutherford Hayes versus Samuel Tilden and this the closest American ele uh, presidential election in history. Uh, you had the only time um, in which a person who won the majority of votes, almost 51% of all votes went to Samuel J. Tilden, but he still lost the election due to the Electoral College, and he lost the electoral vote uh, by one. By one, 185 to 184. Incredible. And he he handled the loss with such dignity that despite his, you know, maybe you don't agree with his opinion on the, the gold standard. He was one of those guys that was like a bourbon Democrat, very free trade, low tariff, gold standard, low taxes, yada, yada, which I agree with most of that too. But doesn't matter. A man of character and integrity, and you got to respect Tilden in that regard. Uh, also, lots of political experience. He was governor of New York, another governor of New York. <laughs> um, he, I, you know, on paper looked pretty darn good. But I think that the way that he handled that loss, that he, he clearly got screwed over in the election of 1876. And there probably really was. I mean, from the limited evidence that we have, there was electoral shenanigans. There was fraud. There was shady stuff going on. And he was like, he, yeah. In fact, a few years later, um, people try to get him to, the political machines try to get him to run again for president. And he turned them down. He ended up leaving politics altogether a few, a few years later. Um, but yeah. Because of mostly because of his character, but also a little bit because of his policy, um, I've decided I went back and forth between A and B for Tilden, but I think I'm going to go A for Tilden. Congratulations, Samuel Tilden. And you know he's basically same policies as Grover Cleveland. You all know that I I like Grover Cleveland a lot, so I guess maybe this isn't too much of a surprise. Oh, we got a Horace Greeley S-tier uh, suggestion here. Yeah, I mean... Mm. <laughs> Thank you, Anthony. Uh, Dabrowski, you go. Hi, Mr. B. Just joined. Hope you're doing well. well. Thank you for joining. Appreciate that support. Ethan, to have the tier list in a specific order, alter the file names of the images so that their alphabetical order matches up with the order you want. Okay, great advice for future tier lists. But I also just straight up forgot a picture, so I, I messed up on that. But I'd say he, he was insignificant anyway, as far as all... He's probably the most insignificant of all the people on here, so I'm not, not too worried about it. But thank you for that advice, Ethan, and thank you for the super chat. We are on to the election of 1880. Again, a two-way race between James Garfield, who we were mentioning earlier, the Republican, and Winfield Scott Hancock, the Democrat, a war hero. It was the first time in a while, going back really since uh, Winfield Scott, 1852, that you had a, a war hero. Um, oh, I'm sorry. We forgot Ulysses Grant. I, well, what I mean is a war hero who's the runner up. I, uh, Ulysses Grant obviously was a war hero, but he, he, he won twice. So, But Winfield Scott Hancock um, was specifically a war hero at the Battle of Gettysburg. So he was also from Pennsylvania. 
somebody that no matter what your background was politically or even like a lot of Southerners respected him uh, because he had integrity, uh, a great leader. Um, I would say even uh, in Reconstruction in the South afterwards, like he was somebody who uh, still had good leadership. Um, as far as my problems with William Winfield Scott, well, I almost said William, Winfield Scott Hancock, um, he was a little bit too much a supporter of states' rights. I think he would have, um, well, I mean, at this point, Reconstruction was over anyway. It, that ended in 1877, officially. Um, but also, like, he, the way he treated Native Americans, um, not good. So that, that makes him go down in my book. Um, and so I would say he's a C tier. So... Winfield Scott Hancock is C tier. Hmm. Did I forget that picture too? Maybe I did. Oh no, there he is. Okay. Very last one. So here's how it's looking so far. Yes, I'm doing more first lady videos eventually. I'm sorry I haven't done more. Actually, I have a video coming in a couple months um, about every single woman who ran for president. That's going to be a, a good one. I, I hope it will be anyway. Maybe it's going to suck. I don't know. Uh, okay, so we're up to the election of 1884. And James Blaine, I know I have some viewers who are James Blaine fans. James Blaine with that beautiful beard. And yeah... I'm a little bit conflicted about James Blaine. Highly qualified. Uh, he was the U.S. Secretary of State, or maybe this was later on, but you know, just like Henry Clay on paper, good resume. Uh, Senator from Maine, uh, Speaker of the House in the House of Representatives, very influential. Um, I would say a very good speaker, charismatic. He definitely had influenced a, a change in foreign policy, saying uh, later on uh, Congress would be more aggressive with foreign policy. Um, but I did, I disagreed with that, though. I think that the United States becoming more imperialistic um, was a bad thing. <laughs> um, the United States just taking Hawaii, the way it handled um, the Spanish-American War and the Philippine-American War later, you could trace a lot of that back to the influence of James Blaine. So I do hold that against him policy-wise. Um, you know, he was for some good things like civil service reform. Okay, I'll give him that. But uh, I go back and forth. And so because of that, I'm going to have James Blaine be uh, a C tier despite his wonderful beard. And I know a lot of you watching are like, what? He was great. Uh, I I think his policies, um, mm. now he also was somebody who was pragmatic uh, at times. Um, and so he worked with Democrats regularly. So you got to give him credit for that. But yeah. All right. So let's see the trash talkers about how I ranked James Blaine. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's a great suggestion. I heard about that uh, book. I actually uh, tune into David Pakman from time to time. Uh, Tuttle Twins books, they also have a critical thinking uh, 
book I came across. I did not even know about the Tuttle Twins until just a few days ago. <laughs> and so I might even react to them tomorrow morning when I do my uh, 9 a.m. Central Time uh, reaction on Twitch exclusively. So if you can catch that. All right. Thanks for the super chat, Rick. I appreciate it. Is that 249? I don't know what currency that is, but that seems like a lot. Thank you so much. Okay, so now we're jumping ahead because 1888 was uh, it was just Benjamin Harrison and Grover Cleveland who both were president at one point or another. So we're up to 1892, which by this time we have the populist movement peaking. Uh, we have a three-way race between Grover Cleveland, um, who did win that election, although it was fairly close against his main rival, again, Benjamin Harrison, Uh of the Republican party. So Grover Cleveland was a Democrat, Benjamin Harrison, the Republican. And then that leaves a very strong third party candidate, James Weaver of Iowa, who ran for the populist party. And I've talked about James Weaver a couple times on my channel before. I'm a big fan of James Weaver. I just think he was just overall a, a decent person. Um, okay, he had old-fashioned views about Native Americans. He was not very enlightened when it came to that. But most other issues, he was actually fairly ahead of his time. He spent much of his uh, service or his public service uh, efforts, you know, fighting for ordinary Americans. That's why he was such a hero to uh, in the populist movement. And so, fighting against the elites, in particular. Uh, big corporations that had created monopolies, particularly in the railroad industry, but also the banking industry. He was for um, creating inflation so that farmers could make more money. So creating inflation with the uh, free and unlimited coinage of silver. And then he also was one of the earliest um, outspoken proponents of a uh, progressive income tax the popular election of U.S. senators, the expansion of direct democracy, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, that became more mainstream, but like 15, 20 years after he ran for president in 1892. So again, very ahead of his time. Um, and yeah, so uh, I, I liked James Weaver overall. Um, in fact, he's my number three overall in terms of um, the... Uh, like, uh, I, I made a video about the top 10 failed uh, U.S. presidential candidates in history. He was number three. So he's number three overall, almost S tier, but still just A tier. So you already know who my two S tiers are by me saying that if you've seen my top 10 presidential fa or failed presidential candidates video. Although I didn't include all, all like uh, more recent elections in that video. So maybe you don't, uh, but I think you do. So anyway, uh, James Weaver is a tier is that in there no i wish these had names on them so it would make it a lot quicker yeah i think that's an older picture of james weaver i'm looking at a younger picture of him right now and it's throwing me off yeah that's an older picture of him so I'm used to seeing him younger, but this is what he looked like in 1892. A tier for James Weaver of the Populist Party. So uh, the Democratic Party co-opted the uh, 
so did the Republican Party, but the Democratic Party did more in the uh, by the by 1896, the next presidential election. So then we have William McKinley, the Republican, running against William Jennings Bryan, who again is one of my favorite uh, failed presidential candidates in American history. I went over the, he's my number four, actually. So he's, I was gonna, you already know, he's going to be A tier as well. He ran for president, um, well, really three times, some say technically four times. A tier, though. Um, he would have been a heck of a good president, in my opinion. William Jennings Bryan was a congressman from Nebraska. Maybe, dare I say, the most charismatic politician of the 1800s other than i guess maybe abraham lincoln <laughs> uh but yeah just a, extremely charismatic and he would have been again the youngest president in american history if he was elected in 1896 he ran for the democrats um three times officially 1896 1900 and 1908 along with henry clay the only person to never win a presidential election despite receiving electoral votes in three different elections and this is, of course, after the 12th Amendment passed at the, in the early 1800s. Um, <laughs> and then there was, of course, the third time he ran, there was the joke. Uh, he ran against William Howard Taft in 1908. Uh, and Taft supporters uh, jokingly um, had a slogan that said, hey, vote for Taft now. You can vote for Brian anytime. But yeah, um, you know, it's not like he was power hungry. He was just really popular. Everybody kept talking him into running again and again and again. Uh, but he's one of the best examples we have of a, of a true populist candidate, one who did whatever he could to represent the interests of ordinary folks. Um, he was passionate, exciting. You know, when you watched him speak, you just got fired up. And again, he would at 36, he would have been the youngest president ever elected. Um, in 1896 was when he gave that famous cross of gold speech that apparently was so good that the delegates in at the convention carried him off the floor of the convention out of the building, out of the room, at least on their shoulders as if he was the quarterback who just scored the winning touchdown in a football game. But yeah, he was always kind of the underdog uh, running for president policy wise. He was against monopolies and imperialism. And I'm, I was a, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, so that's why he's so high on my tier list. William Jennings Bryan. I think a lot of you knew I was going to put him pretty high. Oh, Filipino pesos. Oh, great. All right. Nice. Represent Philippines. <laughs> Speaking of uh, anti-imperialism. <laughs> But yeah, also, I'm a, I'm a little bit more biased towards Midwestern candidates, you know. I lived in Nebraska for a little while. Now we're going to get to a few kind of, eh, I guess really just one for now, because then we have another one that's a surprise. Okay, so 1900 was, again, William McKinley and William Jennings Bryan. That was a rematch. 1904 now, of course, William McKinley was assassinated, Teddy Roosevelt. Took over, extremely popular. 1904, he's running against somebody who's just, you know, not that inspiring. And that would be Alton Parker. Alton Parker was mostly known as a judge. 
Uh, he was appointed to the New York Supreme Court, um, and then the uh, New York Court of Appeals, Chief Judge. I mean, it was a time when more and more judges, or just, yeah, justices and judges were entering, um, or trying to enter the legislative and executive branch and running for, you know, trying to get elected. Um, that's one, uh, I think, unique thing about the progressive era. This is at the right in the middle of the progressive era now. Um, but, you know, he was a great judge. Alden Parker was a great judge, um, but not a lawmaker. And he, I don't think he was meant for the executive branch. Um, definitely struggled campaigning. Um, not charismatic. Not very good at getting people fired up or inspiring people. And plus, he's against the most, the, the opposite of that. You know, with Thomas or with Thomas, with uh, Teddy Roosevelt. So, you know, he, he was kind of like in a hole to begin with. And he just kind of dug that hole deeper. Um, so I'm going to put him at F. And, I, you know, despite being a good judge, I think he would have been a bad president. Oh, but such a good mustache. Oh, up there with Taft's mustache. Mustache, actually. Yes. All right, so then 1908, we already talked about that was Taft v. William Jennings Bryan. So then we got that exciting election of 1912, the four-way race. You have uh, the incumbent, William Howard Taft, seeking re-election with the Republican Party. Uh, Theodore Roosevelt comes back and is like, I don't like the direction this uh, that that my, my old friend Taft is taking the country, so I'm going to run against him. And he first ran as a Republican, and then uh, they they weren't going to nominate him. So Teddy Roosevelt just stormed out of the convention and ran as the third-party candidate as a progressive, and thus uh, split up uh, in a way. Although you know it's not so easy to simplify it that like that, but he did bring a lot of uh, former Republicans his way with the, his newly formed Progressive Party. Then you had the Democratic Party with Woodrow Wilson, who ended up winning because of it being a four-way race. Uh, he won only with 41.8% of the popular vote. And then the fourth candidate is somebody we haven't talked about yet, and that is Eugene Debs. And I know a lot of you have been waiting for Eugene Debs. So let's see where you want to put him. Where should I put Eugene Debs? I just want to see what you say. I already know where I'm going to put him, but I want to see what you say. Eugene Debs is extremely popular with a certain segment of my audience for some reason. He's one of the few that actually was just like, yeah, I'm socialist. <laughs> he was, uh, he came out as, as a socialist by this time. The, the, the political party he was part of was a socialist party. Um, and today that's mostly a, a dirty word. So, okay. We already have some variation here. Uh, well, more of you are saying S tier than not, but A, B, C, S, S, S. <laughs> wow. Okay. See, and I, I have had my critiques of socialism. Okay. Um, I think that, you know, it's meant to work, I think at least initially at, um, locally at a local level, and then maybe you can work your way up to a uh, larger scale. If you look at the issues that 
Eugene Debs ran on. He was actually kind of vague. Um, it wasn't like he was like, I'm going to do specifically, I'm going to implement these specific things. Now, there were a few things that, I mean, he, oh, I should take a step back. Eugene, Eugene Debs first made a name for himself um, as a leader of the American Railway Union. He led some strikes and then, you know, uh, like not just local locally, but nationwide strikes, general strikes as they're called. Um, and he made a name for himself as, you know, somebody who was a leader of, of uh, worker organizations. And then he helped, helped form the social, uh, social democracy of America, the social democratic party of America, uh, the socialist party of America. Um, so yeah, I mean, he did not hide his, uh, passion for socialism. He was very charismatic, uh, fiery speeches. Like, you know, he would get you pumped up whether you agreed with him or not. Um, he was so fired up that in fact, he spoke uh, in a way that discouraged people to uh, be enlisted for <laughs> for World War One. When when the United States entered World War One, that got him into some trouble uh, with the uh, Espionage and Sedition Acts that um, passed by the Wilson administration and Congress at the time. Wilson actually uh, hated Debs later on, but that's later on. He first uh, had a chance, like he, his best chance of becoming, at becoming president was in 1912. And people forget, in 1912, he got over 900,000 votes, 6% of the popular vote. So his support was actually pretty darn big. Um, oh yeah, it was a Sedition Act specifically that got him in prison. He ran for prison, He not ran for prison, ran from prison for president in 1920 and he got a lot of votes from prison in 1920 uh let's see how many did he get he got uh i look up the exact number here i mean his uh it's you know what if donald trump ends up running from prison this could be a similar situation right um, but he got a lot of support. Oh yeah. He got 914,000 votes or 3.4% of the popular vote in 1920 from prison. Okay. So pretty remarkable, but I just think overall, yeah, like I think, uh, you know, he thought that, uh, public utilities should be, um, nationalized, you know, the, the government should have more role in certain things. You know, I think a democratic socialist might be a more accurate way to describe him these days uh, as far as where he stood. Um, so policy-wise, I agree with him on a lot of things. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I can put him in, uh, too high um, because of some of the differences. Um, yeah, I, I'm probably just going to put him at a B. I'm sorry. I know some of you, a lot of you want him as, as S tier, but... B tier for, um, <laughs> I'm having doubts now myself, but yeah, Eugene Debs, because I, I do go back and forth sometimes, B tier for Eugene Debs, definitely uh, just a powerful force not to be reckoned with, you got to respect him, oh, he, he actually was in Congress for one, uh, for one term, by the way, people forget that, uh, representing, uh, 
Indiana, a district in Indiana. Yeah, when he was a young man. Okay, so now we're up to uh, another, I would say, uh, mostly obscure, unknown uh, presidential candidate. That would be Charles Evans Hughes, ran against Woodrow Wilson in the election of 1916. He was a Republican, another judge and slash justice, later um, Supreme Court justice. Um, he was also, though, he had legislative experience. He was, a uh, wait for it, a governor of New York. The curse of being a governor of New York and running for president. Um, maybe he should have never been governor of New York. He would have had more of a chance. But it was a closer race than um, you might think against Wilson. But Wilson, you know, promised that, hey, I'm going to keep you... I'm going to keep the United States out of World War One. Don't worry. Vote for me. I'll keep you out of war. Well, he broke that promise, didn't he? But anyway, uh, Charles Evans Hughes was uh, later a Secretary of State with Harding later on and in uh, Coolidge. He was somebody who was kind of boring, to be honest. Uh, not glamorous at all, uh, other than his uh, style and beard um, <laughs> and, and outfits, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but he was a pragmatic leader. He was not ideological, um, effective as a, as a, you know, when he was governor, uh, an effective leader. Um, he was an associate justice for the Supreme court though. Um, and stepped down to accept the nomination as Republican presidential candidate in 1916. So that's a, a rare thing when that it happens. I mean, imagine if like, uh, you know, like, uh, just name some Brett Kavanaugh steps down from the Supreme court to run for president in 2024. That, that'd be a similar situation. Um, but I think he was solid, you know, uh, I think he would have been a solid president because of the fact that he was not pragmatic or that he was not ideological and more pragmatic. He would have got probably a lot done. And for, he was probably the right man for the time too with world war one. I. I mean, we probably still would have went to, to war, but so I think he would be a B tier right next to Eugene Debs, actually. And that was the election of 1916. Now we're up to the election of 1920. And that's when we have Warren Harding and James Cox. Both have essentially very similar platforms. By this point, the Republican and Democratic Party have way more in common than they have differences. People forget that about the 1920s. They don't like to bring bring that up a whole lot, but that's what the progressive era did to um, to politics in general in the first uh, two decades of the of the 20th century. So uh, James Cox was kind of meh, you know. Uh, James Cox was governor of Ohio, a uh, former member of the Ohio House. Maybe a bit too corporate welfare-y and uh, business-friendly, you know, listen too much to the special interests. But so did his opponent, Warren Harding, you know, same way. Um, he was actually for Prohibition. That's a big strike for me, but, you know, so was Warren Harding. You had two choices in 1920 that uh, I... I wish there was a better third-party option in 1920 because that, that was the year that desperately needed it. Um James Cox wanted to lower corporate and income taxes. Okay, I can see corporate taxes and income taxes maybe a little bit, but come on now. Um, and then as uh, I would say, oh, when I was researching for this stream, 
I came across, uh, now there's a, actually, this is a, apparently a famous book that I didn't even know about. It's called They Also Ran, which might be where the term also ran came from, but it's about all these uh, defeated presidential candidates. It's written by someone named Irvin, Irving Stone. I, I recommend it. It's, uh, it's interesting. But anyway, Irving Stone says uh, that Cox was actually superior in every way over Harding and said that Cox would have made a much better president. <laughs> um, you know, and I think that's hindsight's 2020. We know all the scandals and corruption with Harding and his administration. Uh, but Irving Stone also argued there would, there had never been a stronger case in the history of American presidential elections for the proposition that the better man lost. I felt, I found that pretty compelling uh, and so that's kind of, I was like, oh, maybe I need to rethink James Cox. Cause before that I was like, oh, I'm not really feeling him. Uh, so, you know, he would have been a D probably before he goes up to a C automatically just because of what I read about him from this Irving Stone guy from in his book, they also ran. So C tier for James Cox. Still no S tier. When is going to be? When is the first S tier coming? It's been two hours since we started. I, you know, okay, good. A lot of you agreed with that. Okay, <laughs> all right. Oh yeah. Well, RFK. I hate to break it to you, but because he was assassinated and he didn't make it past the primaries did not qualify for this tier list rankings. RFK was amazing though. I'm a huge fan, huge fan of RFK more than JFK. A parade of losers. Maybe I will change the name of that. Uh, Cap Canada. Thank you for that suggestion. No, <laughs> thank you for the super chat. Okay. So, well, we're getting close to somebody I really, really respect in American history. I think some of you are going to guess it. But first, we got uh, John Davis, who... Okay, so we're at the election of 1924, which was actually a three-way race. Uh, two out of the three candidates were pretty, pretty good, okay? In my opinion, Calvin Coolidge, the incumbent, who, after Harding passed away in office, took over as president, fairly popular, um, so Calvin Coolidge for the Republican Party. Then we had John Davis, not the lead singer of Corn, but John W. Davis uh, of West Virginia, representing the Democratic Party for the election of, of uh, 1924. And uh, yeah, again, kind of a meh candidate. He leaned to the right, um, kind of similar to Coolidge, but a mediocre politician, in my opinion. He represented West Virginia in the House, didn't really do anything significant there. I mean, I can't get over about John Davis is that, you know, he lived a long life after. He lived several decades after this election, and he did argue a bunch of uh, really important uh, court cases, including Supreme Court cases. Uh, but I think most infamously, he was part of uh, he defended the separate but equal doctrine um, in those ca companion cases to Brown versus the Board of Education. So not good, John Davis. 
um, somebody who was a little bit too cozy with states' rights and Jim Crow laws. So I did not like that about him. Uh, and, you know, policy-wise is mainly why I'm against John Davis here. So I think he was actually, you could argue, more to the right of Calvin Coolidge even. So because of that, John is just a D, D tier. But you all know that there was somebody else that ran for president in 1924 because he thought that both Calvin Coolidge and John Davis were way to the right. And so that was Robert La Follette, fought, fighting Bob himself. And longtime viewers of my channel already know that I'm a, I'm a big Fighting Bob fan. Um, you know, I've actually got some crap for that as well. But he was just, it's about his passions, man. He didn't always have the, the best solutions. He mostly did. But he made number one on my best 10 senators list. Uh, number one on my best 10 governors list. Um, and yeah, overall, he's, yeah, I, I think uh, my number two. My number two, he's still my number two presidential, a failed presidential candidate. Uh, in American history of all time. I think he's an S tier. So fighting Bob. And this, of course, this is shortly before he passed away. He actually died, I think, the next year or the two years later, maybe. I don't remember exactly when. But um, but yeah, fighting Bob is the first S tier. So Robert LaFollette, just to review why I like Robert LaFollette. Um, he was he kind of kept the progressive era going. Like, don't forget about what we fought for. Keep fighting for it. He fought for monopolies. He fought for social welfare. He fought against imperialism. He, he was a big reason why child labor ended. Um, he was big on expanding civil liberties, you know, saving our freedoms, not letting the government um, control every aspect of our private lives. Um he fought against the exploitation of workers, who was always on the workers' side. Um, a, tr a real trust buster, way more than Teddy Roosevelt ever was, way more than Taft was or any... I mean, he would have... Ima imagine what he could have done as president. Now, obviously, forget the fact that he died shortly after this anyway. I mean, he was a, uh, somebody who would have really pushed things forward dramatically, he would have ended corporate welfare or tried to end corporate welfare, which is still a huge problem, in my opinion. I think it's one of the biggest problems that um, not just the American government struggles with, but most governments around the world struggle with. Um, and again, his passion, his, you know, he famously gave this 19 hour uh, filibuster, um, the longest up to that point on the Senate floor. Um he, uh, you know, other, there's, I could go on for a while actually about all of his policy positions that I, I agree with. Um, he was always looking out for the underdog, always looking out for the forgotten. And I think he actually, if he was around today, he would have been very popular with not just those that lean to the left, but yeah, a lot of Trump supporters would actually like fighting Bob. Uh, I think the closest thing we get to someone like him today is Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Sanders has got nothing on on uh, Robert LaFollette. So what do you think? What do you think? Oh, I think you're falling asleep in the chat. 
Oh, there we go. There's a fan. Prendel Poetry. Thank you. Fighting Bob just visited his grave. S tier. Yes. I assume he's uh, buried in Wisconsin. I've never been to his gravesite. I need to go. <laughs> oh, there, yeah. Makes you proud to be from Wisconsin. Oh, that's good. I mean, some people from Wisconsin, some Wisconsinites are not. But hey, that's a... So, oh, JB's here. How you doing? <laughs> yes. Um, shout out to JB14998 in front. I, I'll keep you anonymous on here, but I know who you are, and I appreciate all your support all these years. It means a lot. Okay. Moving on to the election of, well, 1928, no. we've Oh, no, yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm thinking of 1932. 19, yes, the election of 1928, we have Herbert Hoover, um, the Republican who did win against Al Smith, the Democrat, the first uh, Roman Catholic who had a chance to win the presidency. Um, Al Smith was governor of New York. Oh, that means he's going to lose. Yeah. Um, again, that's the trend I noticed more than anything researching all this stuff. If you're a governor of New York and you run for president, you're going to lose. Despite the fact that Al Smith was a darn good governor, one of the best governors in American history, I would say, in particular of New York. And they've had a lot of solid governors there. Um, he was for ending prohibition, which I agreed with. Um, he was influential of FDR, lots of political experience overall. Um, it's kind of sad, all the anti-Catholic bigotry that he, um, faced when he ran for president in 1928. But, you know, um, later on, actually, he kind of broke away from FDR and, and against his new deal policies. <laughs> also, what's weird about Al Smith though, that I still can't like, you know, get over is, he still had strong links to Tammany Hall, that political machine in New York City that was at times quite corrupt. And, you know, that brings him down a couple notches for me, I would say. Um, but still, I think a pretty solid presidential candidate. Um, I went back and forth, B tier and, and C tier for him. But I think I'm going to keep it more positive. I'm in a good mood. So we'll go Al Smith, B tier. B-tier candidates are actually... Yeah, that's more than I originally... I think uh, this has shifted already since I first started researching for this last year. <laughs> okay. So then we're up to... So 1932 was, yeah, Franklin Roosevelt, Herbert Hoover. Jump ahead to 1936. Oh, we've got our first big candidate from Kansas. Not just Kansas, but my uh, hometown of Lawrence, Kansas. He actually went to my alma mater, the University of Kansas here in Lawrence. And that would be Alf Landon. Alf Landon was governor of Kansas. Uh, before that, chairman of the Kansas Republican Party. Before that, he made a lot of money, became very rich as an oil man. I'm an oil man. Uh, and... Because of that, though, I think he was always a bit out of touch. <laughs> he was always about like, oh, let's just reduce taxes and balance the budget. He was saying what Hoover was saying in 1929, but he was saying it in 1936. So, dude, you are out of touch. I know I'm from Kansas. You're from Kansas. Also, I should be biased for you because your daughter, 
Nancy Casabom, I'm talking to him as if he's still alive, but his daughter, Nancy Casabom, is still alive. Nancy Casabom is one of my favorite U.S. senators in American history. So I, you know, I should be more pro Alf Landon. What's going on? But I just not that impressed with Alf Landon. I think I said in my uh, how I would vote in every presidential election video that I would I would vote for Franklin Roosevelt because things seem to be going in the right direction. And I stand by that. Alf Landon, you just weren't a very good presidential candidate. Despite you being from my home state, you're, you're D-tier. Sorry, Alf. Any Alf fans out there? Yeah, he lived to be over 100, and guess what? His daughter is, uh, she's in her 90s. She's still going strong here in Kansas. Oh, Michael Dukakis, Bob Dole, Walter Mondale, Wendell Wilkie. Oh, Wendell Wilkie is coming up next. And Al Gore, okay, thanks for sharing that. Forest Hill Cemetery in Madison. I will check it out. Madison, one of the best cities in the country by far as well. Okay, for that was for Bob um, LaFollette, by the way. Yes, so next up is Wendell Wilkie, the election of 1940. Of course, Franklin Roosevelt running for a third term. A bit controversial. Uh, and that's part of the motivation, at least for Wendell Wilkie to run as a Republican against him. Wendell Wilkie is not someone who's ideological who's more moderate, who, uh, you know, is kind of has one foot in the Republican Party and the other in the Democratic Party, runs a pretty solid campaign, though, because remember, by the late 1930s, things are going sour again with the economy, and it, it, it takes a turn for the worse, and there's a lot of momentum on, on Wendell Wilkie's side, so he really did have a pretty solid chance. Now, he's still it was still a pretty big victory for Franklin Roosevelt in 1940. He still had a 449 electoral votes to uh, Wilkie's just 82. But regardless, I think Wilkie was a, um, he's my sixth, he's still my sixth favorite um, failed presidential candidate in American history. Um, he, you know, he just changed his po political party affiliation to Republican because he was just, he was getting frustrated with the New Deal program. Some of them were inefficient. But what I love most about Wendell Wilkie was that he was uh, a problem solver. Like he was above all the, you know, like think about all the drama on Twitter today by certain politicians, certain members of Congress. He would have been somebody who was not on Twitter today, or I'm sorry, X. He would not be on, I hate calling an X, by the way. I'm going to call it Twitter for the rest of my life. But he had vision. He was above party politics. Um, he was not a hack. Um, when he was back, back when he was a lawyer, um, he was actually somewhat of an activist and fought against the Ku Klux Klan. Um, a, a good entrepreneur that gave him like good insight into like what the good parts of running a business, how we could apply that to um, the bureaucracy of government, particularly at the federal level. Um, a lot of good that he called for to reform the federal government. A dark horse candidate who really didn't stand a chance in the beginning, but like somehow it made it somewhat competitive, at least for a while. And he lost the election with grace, later even worked with Franklin Roosevelt. They uh, worked together, went before Congress to support Roosevelt's Lend-Lease program. So I just think a great guy. I still have my window Wilkie button behind me. Uh, and he is an A-tier in my opinion. 
I'm a big Wendell Welkie fan. All right. There it is. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. I got to make so many videos about why places are named what they are. That's one of my goals in life. <laughs> there you go, Jackson. Jackson knows. Yeah. Oh, they even said it twice. Well, thank you for the super chats, Jackson. All right. So uh, FDR wins again. And the 1944, he runs for a fourth term, even though his health is probably... Eh. And then now, by this time, one of the uh, rising stars in the Republican Party is Thomas Dewey. Now, Thomas Dewey, I've always had a conflicted uh, opinion about him. Um, he was someone who didn't really have charisma, wasn't really someone who gave these inspiring speeches and wasn't able to unite different factions like so many others were able to. And and yet, he was still quite an effective, an effective politician. He... He got a lot done. Uh, he was also, wait for it. Oh my gosh, wait for it. You know what I'm going to say. Thomas Dewey was governor of New York. That's why he lost not just once, but twice. He lost in the election in 1944 and narrowly lost in 1948. If you remember famously, uh, everyone, the polls, the newspapers predicted that Dewey would defeat Truman in 1948. They were so confident that they even printed it on newspapers ahead of time. And Truman got a copy of those, and he had a picture of, uh, taken with one of them that said, Dewey defeats Truman, and he just has this smile on his face like, ha, guess they, they uh, shouldn't have done that. They... They should have waited till the results came in because uh, Harry Truman surprised everyone. But anyway, back to Thomas Dewey, you know, a very skilled politician. Before he was governor of New York, he was a district attorney and he did have integrity. He was an honest person. Um, at times, though, just came across like Richard Nixon to me, who was somebody who was a little bit too power hungry, too pompous, too much of a micromanager kind of just said what people wanted to hear because he wanted just to get into power so that, you know, em empty platitudes, opportunist a bit. And, uh, I don't know, give me a sour taste in my mouth. You know, so, I, I mean, on paper, looking at his resume, he looks great. Um, but just, you know. And the other thing I, I should like, I mean, I, I like Dewey's pragmatic, moderate approach in some regards because he was like somebody who was, not so crazy to the um, the right of Franklin Roosevelt and later Harry Truman, but at the same time, it's like, what did you what do you stand for, man? We need to know somewhat what you what you stand for. And so, a frustrating presidential candidate to me. And because of that, um, there's no way I can put him higher than C. But I went back and forth between C and D for him. So, but I think I, I'm still going to put him at C because of on paper, he had all the right credentials. Okay. Um, oh, next up, we've got somebody who, uh, wow. Yeah. What a, what a person this is. If you've watched me for a while, you also know that I'm a big fan of this fella. Um, this person was, vice president to Franklin Roosevelt for at least one term. He was also before that in Franklin Roosevelt's cabinet in various positions. 
the Board of Economic Warfare, Supply Priorities and Allocation Board, um, Secretary of Commerce, Secretary of Agriculture. If that's that last part might be the hint, he's somebody who knew a lot about agriculture, made it kind of a name for himself with his policies. Some of that was controversial that I don't necessarily agree with. But from Iowa, and uh, just what makes me impressed with him more than anything was just how forward-thinking and open-minded he was. Um, just a, a, a good person as well. Didn't really stand much of a chance, but I, I had to include him on here. I had to stick him on this. Uh, but he ran for president in the election of 1948, one of my favorite presidential elections to look at. It was really more of a, th a three-way race between Harry Truman, Thomas Dewey, and Strom Thurmond. But the fourth candidate who kind of somewhat had a chance was Henry Wallace, who one of these months or years I got to make a video about. Um, so Henry Wallace, I think, would have been a wonderful president. I think he would have been one of the best presidents we ever had. If he, imagine, it, I mean, Harry Truman worked out very well. Um, but if, you know, he had, if Franklin Roosevelt decided to keep Henry Wallace as his, has his veep in 1944, we would have had a Henry Wallace as president. That's one of the great what ifs of American political history. Um, and so I, you know, I think, uh, he would have been great. Um, I hesitate to have him an S tier, but he's at least an A tier for me just because he was so forward thinking. Uh, he was so compassionate, uh, had integrity, empathy more than anything. Um, and you know, like who knows how world war two would have ended differently with him in there. I think it would have been better. Uh, but at the very least, like there's a lot that we probably would have moved, moved along much more quicker if he was in there. That said, we had some really good presidents, uh, you know, in the first half into the second half of the 20th century. We really did. You know, you had Franklin Roosevelt, you had Harry Truman, you had Dwight Eisenhower, you had John F. Kennedy, all back to back to back. Some of the best presidents all at the same time. Henry Wallace was with that group. He would have been just as good, if not better. So, yeah. I love Jesse Ventura. I absolutely love that. He's a little crazy, but I love Jesse Ventura. <laughs> Thank you for that, Indu. I appreciate that. Leviticus Prime. Thank you. I rewind so I could hear you do your oil man voice again. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know that reference. Why does it sound like Sean Connery? Oh, like Sean Connery. No, I was trying to uh, impersonate um, uh, Daniel Day-Lewis in... Um, oh my gosh, what's the name of the movie? Uh, there Will Be Blood. There Will Be Blood, uh, my impersonation of Daniel Day-Lewis's character, Daniel Plainview, that's his name. And There Will Be Blood. That's what I was trying to do. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, so now we are, oh, we're still, oh yeah, we're still in the crazy election of 1948 that Harry Truman narrowly won. Um, so also running that year was Strom Thurmond, a much younger Strom Thurmond than 
that I remember when, when I was a kid, Strom Thurmond was this ancient guy. Like he was the oldest uh, serving senator in American history. He was 100 years old and still in the Senate. But in 1948, he was a young, uh, charismatic dude. Strom Thurmond, um, he's another complicated figure in American history. Um, he was a, a war hero. He actually landed in Normandy on D-Day, I believe, or at least shortly after D-Day. So a lot of people don't know that about Strom Thurmond. Uh, he was governor of South Carolina in 1948 when he ran for president. Uh, later on, he'd be one of the most influential senators in American history. Uh, he was president pro tempore of the U.S. Senate at one point. Uh, however, he was also a segregationist. He was fine with the status quo in terms of uh, institutional racism. He was racist himself quite blatantly. And I mean, sometimes he would, he would use language that was like, oh, maybe he's not so racist after all. But he was. The older he got, by the time he was, you know, in his 70s and 80s and 90s, you know, by the time when I was alive, uh, he was not as racist. He, he, he moved to the left throughout his life. But regardless, in 1948, he left the Democratic Party because Truman desegregated uh, the armed forces and because Truman called for more desegregation. So the heck with that use. Screw you, Strom Thurmond, for this. These horrible views. I'm just going to throw you an F tier for that. Despite you changing later on, I think you would have been a horrible president at that time in 1948. I'm very happy you didn't get in there. What a complicated guy. <laughs> you gotta, okay. Um, oh, thank you. Thank you, Salva. Hey, man, I did your content. Keep, keep up with the good work. Thank you so much. Love your PFP. Uh, Noah was taken. Please be nice to Al Gore, Hillary, and McCain. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get there soon. Stank, thanks for sticking. I, I just almost said, I've been doing this for so long. I said, stanks. But thanks for sticking with me for so long. Oh, Harrison again. You're still here, Harrison. Thank you for sticking around so long. Which candidate would you rather have a beer with? A question that has swung so many moderate grass touchers in the last few decades. Yeah, that should be a video unto itself, shouldn't it? That should be a separate video. Yeah, I mean, because that was the big question in 2000 for sure uh, with George W. Bush. I definitely would rather have a beer with him than Al Gore. Although these days I'd rather just have a coffee with... Yeah, coffee would be better with Al Gore more I think about it. Anyway, back to this. Okay, now we're up to 1952 and 1956 because we have rematches here. So Dwight Eisenhower um, running for the Republican Party in 1952 for the first time against Adlai Stevenson II of the Democratic Party. And then four years later, the exact same um, top two candidates running against each other. Both times, as you probably already know, Eisenhower uh, fairly easily defeats Adlai Stevenson. Um, but let's learn a little bit more about Adlai Stevenson before I show, reveal where I rank him. He's a, also an interesting dude. Um, he did not want to run for president initially, but Harry Truman talked him into it. And the reason why Harry Truman thought he maybe had a good chance was because Stevenson was fairly moderate on civil rights, a little bit more hesitant to like push things forward. Now, to me, that's like a, that's a negative on you. 
but he was a, a skilled and effective leader, a very smart guy. In fact, he that whole uh, saying that calling someone a pinhead because they're so uh, focused on academics instead of the real world or street smarts, that was attributed and started with people calling him a pinhead in the 1950s running for president. But anyway, governor of Illinois, from Illinois, um, he was also uh, the grandson of Adlai Stevenson I, who was the, uh, the 23rd vice president of the United States. Um, I would say one of the best il- governors in Illinois history. Uh, he he kind of cracked down on corruption. Uh, he, cr- he cracked down on, uh, you know, the black markets that were going on, gang-related. He improved uh, state highways. You know, there's a lot of good that came with his um, his tenure as governor in Illinois. For that, I got to give him props. Uh, I just think he was a little bit too reserved on certain issues, um, and so that's why I'm not too impressed with Adley Stevenson. Um, on most issues, though, he agreed with Eisenhower. You know. He was definitely, he had more left-leaning views, I think. Like, there were some surprises there. Like, I think I read that he was for universal health care and even dabbled with universal basic income. So policy-wise, mostly, mostly good. But leadership abilities, uh, a little bit up in the air, but he he had a good record as uh, governor of Illinois. I can't put him at A, but I think I'll put him as B. You know, he ran against my second favorite president of all time, though, so it's kind of hard to run up against that. 1960, uh, that was a, that was two people that were president, JFK and Richard Nixon. So um, that leaves us to the election of 1964. John F. Kennedy had been assassinated. L- Lyndon Johnson takes his place for the Democratic uh, Party is re-nominated easily uh, with his running mate, Hubert Humphrey, who we'll be talking about here again soon, against a probably one of the most in, uh, I'm sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, influential yet also controversial presidential candidates of all time, and that's Barry Goldwater. He had such impact, such a huge impact on future generations, and yet he got his butt kicked in 1964. This is one of the most lopsided presidential elections in American history. It was 486 electoral votes for for Lyndon Johnson and only 52 electoral votes for Barry Goldwater. Um, and that's because a lot, I mean, a lot of uh, the media said he was too out there. He was too radical. Was this actually true? I think that was definitely, that's up for debate. I would ar- actually argue that was a lot of it was sensationalized uh the more you learn about barry goldwater the more you realize oh he actually really wasn't too crazy on most issues it's just how it was portrayed and so much media especially back then and so we kind of have this warped perspective of barry goldwater now obviously still a mostly a libertarian and he is a big reason why the modern libertarian and libertarian movement started even the Libertarian Party itself existing, a big reason why is Barry Goldwater. Because bo- both the Democratic Party and Republican parties were not limited government parties in the 1960s. They were both big government parties, and so there needed to be this alternative 
it was a surprise that Barry Goldwater got in there, but then over time, like folks like Ronald Reagan became fans of him and a bunch of younger people really just hopped onto this whole idea. Like, Oh, not just, uh, you know, limited government when it comes to, uh, economic issues, but even social issues, you know, both economic and social issues. It was actually, um, a big deal, a big, uh, and then to this day, Barry Goldwater has had a huge effect on American politics. You can't understate that. Um, he was a U.S. Senator from Arizona, the only one from Arizona other than John McCain to uh, almost become president. Phoenix, uh, in particular, is where he got his start in politics. My biggest beef with Barry Goldwater is that he was too aggressive with his rhetoric uh, against the Soviet Union. His foreign policy was kind of meh. Um, but in some ways, he was ahead of his time, especially later on. He was one of the first people, first politicians to ever say, hey, homosexuals, gays, they're okay. They should be able to serve openly in the military. He also was for environmental protection. Despite his libertarian leanings, he's like, well, yeah, but, you know, some things need to be regulated in order for markets to truly function. He also uh, called out for adoption rights for, for gay couples. <coughs> Um, for abortion, uh, he leaned to the left when it came to abortion. He was a complicated guy. But again, uh, that's how libertarianism is. It's like it attracts people from the right and left. It's kind of weird. Mostly right these days, but you know. Okay, so I would say um, mostly good. People are going to be surprised. I'm putting him at a B. B tier for Barry Goldwater down here see all right any surprised by that probably some <laughs> oh we had somebody say goldwater s so i mean all right oh nicholas good to see you here right wing bernie bernie sanders okay good you agree with me <laughs> all right well maybe it wasn't so controversial after all for me to put barry goldwater at b tier Oh, there's an F. Okay. <laughs> but then we have A. A, a. Still a controversial figure in American history. Okay. So that's 1964. Barry Goldwater gets his butt kicked. 1968 is a three-way race again. We have Richard Nixon, who is running for the second time after a short break, against uh, Hubert Humphrey of the Democratic Party. He uh, Hubert Humphrey is another one's like, okay. Kind of blah, nice guy, uh, bad foreign policy. Uh, yeah, he was all in for Viet the Vietnam War. But on other issues, like domestic issues, similar to Lyndon Johnson, ahead of his time for supporting civil rights, uh, a major force in the Democratic Party for civil rights, um, just making it something that was always something we thought about. Um you know, he also called for national health insurance, universal health care, income tax reform. He was a big reason why the Peace Corps became a thing. Props for that. And a big reason why the Civil Rights Act passed to begin with and, and got through the Senate. So you got to give respect to Hu Hubert Humphrey for that. Not the most charismatic person, not the most inspiring person, in my opinion. Every speech I've seen or heard of him. 
Um, but again, a nice guy, kind of, uh, I think it just gives a lot of people a bad taste in, uh, his mouth, uh, the Vietnam war, but also like the whole process in 1968, you know, you had Robert Kennedy, um, that was assassinated and would have been one of the best presidents in American history, in my opinion. Um, you had others in there who were way to the left of uh, uh, Humphrey. Oh gosh, I'm blanking on his name right now. Uh, oh my gosh, who's the other? Help me out in the chat here. Who was the other uh, that kind of took the took a? Uh, oh my gosh, I'm blanking on his name. I got I got to look this up now. <laughs> McCarthy? Yeah, McCarthy. Eugene McCarthy, yeah. Eugene McCarthy was also he also would have been a better president, I think, um than Hubert Humphrey. So just kind again, kind of like uh, you know, um and then they uh the Democratic Party establishment shut out Eugene McCarthy. They shut out these alternative voices um, that were so important, you know, in 1968. It's such a heated, crazy year. And uh, all of a sudden, the Democratic Party was like seen as this party of the elites that were not going to listen to ordinary folks. And so that gave a lot of people a bad taste in their mouth. Um, so, yeah, uh, because of that, I'm going to put him down to C tier. I'm sorry, buddy. That's uh <laughs> He was a happy warrior. Yeah. I just don't know what this I don't know what that's about. I'll have to look that up. Okay. <laughs> A supporter of Stevenson said, the thinking man is behind you and Adley equipped. Yeah, but I need the majority. Oh, sorry I missed this earlier when we were talking about Adley Stevenson. Hillary Clinton said she was a Goldwater gal. She was. Yeah, when she was in college. Absolutely. Don't forget the yippee candidates. Pick a <laughs> What? <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for the super chats. I appreciate that. Um, And now we have segregation now. Segregation forever. Uh, well, yeah, I just butchered the quote. But George Wallace. George Wallace was uh, another extreme, even more controversial than Barry Goldwater. I would say way more controversial than Barry Goldwater. One of the most controversial figures in American history, period. Although there was a lot of people that loved George Wallace. Absolutely adored him. He had a bit of a cult following. Now, if you don't know who George Wallace uh, was, he was a governor of Alabama for four different terms. And then he got term limited limited. And so they're like, you can't run anymore. Uh, so his wife ran and he was first gentleman of Alabama, his wife, Lurleen, Lurleen shout out to Lurleen, who was uh, also a popular governor. And his big thing was populism. People forget populism was number one. Like he was always about uh, talking against the elites. Uh, and then, 
he kind of just fell into this issue of segre- be, be, becoming like the most famous or infamous segregationist in the country. Um, him making those appearances, like, you know, he had a, a University of Alabama ties, but then once the University of Alabama um, just was going to desegregate, he decided to turn this into this big publicity stunt and stepped in, became a national figure for literally standing in front of the entrance of the University of Alabama, blocking the path of African-American students who are trying to get in. And this was really, again, a publicity stunt. This was uh, 1962. Like he was running for re-election of governor or governor for the first time. Um, but just, yeah, racist. A racist guy. But really his racism was normal for the time in Alabama. It was about it was about uh, appropriate for 1960s Alabama. Still, uh, it's hard to like this guy until you start to realize, again, he's a complicated figure. And you remember what happened later on in life. He ran for president actually multiple times. 1968 was his close, the closest he got to the presidency, but he also ran in 1972. And it was in 1972 that he was uh, there was an assassination attempt on him. He got shot. It did not kill him, but it made him paralyzed from the waist down. He was uh, in a wheelchair the rest of his life. Um, and he actually ran for a state in politics after that. Um, but he actually changed his views on segregation after that he uh became much less racist and he actually hired african-americans to his staff and he worked with them and he actually tried to redeem himself and moderated his, his views on a lot of things um so a complicated figure but we don't know that in 1968 and a lot of what he's running on is just like you know fear-mongering and demonization of uh african-americans and so it's just hard to get past that so I'm going to put them in F tier. But don't forget, you know, he's more than just the segregationist. It's more complicated than I. So I hate to just like sometimes oversimplify some of this stuff. Okay. So now we're on to uh, 1972. And again, one of the most lopsided victories in presidential election history, American presidential election history. That was when Richard Nixon destroyed George McGovern. So he uh, in re-election is a re-election for Nixon for a second term. He got not only 520 electoral votes, but 60, almost 61 percent of the popular vote. His opponent, the Democrat George McGovern, only got 37.5 percent of the popular vote and 17 electoral votes. Um, So I feel that George McGovern is somebody who is underrated in American history. Sure, okay, I'll grant you, maybe he was a little bit out of touch. His campaign was not the best. His speeches were oftentimes uh, not effective at all. Um, So yeah, most historians say he ran a bad campaign against Nixon, but really the odds were stacked against him in 1972. Remember, this is before Watergate. This is before we knew a lot about the shadiness of Nixon. now, the Pentagon Papers isn't in the news, so yeah, there's that. But that didn't get the, quite the attention that you would think that it does today. Like, we all know about the Pentagon Papers today and and how Nixon was covering stuff up regarding the Vietnam War. Um, a lot of people kind of didn't know that stuff back then. 
and the economy was getting better in some ways and things were looking up because, oh, hey, we're getting out of Vietnam. We're uh, de-escalating finally and all this. And they kind of ignored, they kind of looked the other way, most Americans. Plus, Americans were freaking out about the social unrest of the 19, late 1960s. They wanted stability. They wanted a return to uh, law and order, whether that be like re real or not. It was just like the perception of law and order. So the odds were stacked against McGovern. Although McGovern, people forget, you know, he was a he had a great resume as well. Um, it wasn't that he was all he was inexperienced. I mean, he was uh, not only was he a, a popular senator in South Dakota, he was a World War II hero. People forget that he was a World War II hero. Um, volunteered for the army. Um, was a pilot. He flew thirty-five missions into German-occupied Europe. Um, I mean, he saved his crew after his plane went emergency landing of his plane. I mean, he was a war hero. Um, but also, like, he was very outspoken against the Vietnam War. Um, and then, like, just his running mate uh, had some issues, too. Um, I mean, today, a lot of this stuff seems so tame. But his, his running mate, uh, Thomas Eagleton, there was some drama there and all this, and I don't want to get into it. But it just seems like, what? what? I need to make a video that, about this, because like George McGovern really doesn't, didn't seem to be that bad of a, of a candidate. You know, it's just, I think it was the circumstances uh, of the time, you know? So I don't know. I just think he was a, he was a good dude. And it's a shame what happened to McGovern. So I'm going to put him in A tier. I don't even care. I don't even care. McGovern goes to A. What you going to do about that, huh? What you going to do about that? What we what are we thinking in the chat here? L opinion. <laughs> B tier. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. John knows. Thomas Eagleton got, I mean, like, it's just like, it's just the times back then, you know, it today would not be an issue. <laughs> okay. So yeah, you're refer referring to, uh, wait, where'd George Washington go in the chat? George McGovern compared the U S to Nazi Germany compared. Yeah. So what holds him back is he said some stupid things in some speeches. He misspoke sometimes, you know? That's what, but if you actually look at his policies, if you look at um, who he was as a human being, I mean, yeah, he got frustrated at the end of his campaign. Maybe he was lost his temper a couple times, but I don't know. I just think he got a bad rep. The more I learn about George McGovern, I'm just like, what is going on? Why, why does everyone hate George McGovern? So that needs to change. All right, next up, we are jumping ahead to uh, the election of 1980. Uh, it's a three-way race, actually. People forget that it's a three-way three race. It's not just Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter. There's a third-party candidate, and that is John Anderson, who's really not running in a for a third party. He's running as an independent. So 
if you've watched my top 10 failed U.S. presidential candidates video, you already know where I stand about John Anderson. Most people have no clue who this guy is. John Anderson was for 20 years a congressman for the 16th district of um, Illinois, the most powerful candidate with the most boring name. But if I, I know I just said George McGovern was underrated. Who's way more underrated? John, I was going to say freaking Anderson, but it's really John B. Anderson. Um, he was a Republican most of his life, um, but he saw the direction the Republican Party was going and he didn't like it, uh, particularly with the uh, the following of Ronald Reagan. And that's why he left the Republican Party and ran as an independent, but a pretty moderate guy. He pushed, uh, throughout his time in Congress, pushed for legislation that increased equality, like that went above party politics, that was pragmatic. President Gerald Ford once said about John Anderson, quote, he's the smartest guy in Congress, but he insists on voting his conscience instead of party. That's a powerful quote for me. I, I will always remember that about him. He took all the best ideas from both the Republican and Democratic Party at the time. He was a realist. He was somebody that worked with whoever wanted to work with him. Let's form a coalition to get stuff done. His big proposal while running wasn't really that exciting. It was just, oh, I want. he wanted to cut Social Security taxes, but raise the gas tax in order to reduce dependence on cars and help the environment. But it's just one example of like, you know, that he was... He was trying to like take the best ideas from everywhere and, and then kind of like put them all together. Um, there's a lot of specific issues that I like. He even if you disagree with him, you're just like, but he, his rationale is so good that man. Um, if you want to ever look up all his um, policy positions, he released a 317 page comprehensive, plat comprehensive platform when he ran in 1980. I'm sure you can still find it online somewhere. I probably have a copy on my hard drive somewhere that I could send to you in a PDF form, but it was really just full of nuance. And um, honestly, he's just way too rational for Washington DC and for Congress. I mean, he's, he's somebody, he's kind of like the anti-politician. Um, and because of that, of course, never stood a chance. Got 6.6% .6 of the popular vote, no electoral votes in 1980. After he lost this uh, presidential race, he left politics permanently. He went back to being a lawyer, but he did help found Fair Vote, which still exists today, which calls for proportional uh, transferable representation in American elections. They, uh, in particular, are for ranked choice voting, which, you know, I'm, I'm not quite as strong on anymore. But still, despite my um, constant crying for like, hey, check out this guy named John Anderson. Uh Hardly anybody knows about him, so I'm still trying to spread the word about him. And one of these days, I'm going to make a full video about him. It will not get very many views. Maybe that's why I haven't made it yet. But John Anderson is S-tier, baby. He's the best presidential candidate who never got the presidency in American history. John Anderson is S-tier, right up there next to Fighting Bob. Congratulations, John. Passed away, actually, just a couple years ago. Ah. Oh. Six years ago now. Man, time flies. Okay. You all knew I was going to do John Anderson. <laughs> if you've been watching my channel for a while. As this tier. 
Oh, I, I'm I'm missing out on some super chats. I'm so sorry. Uh, Andrew, thank you. As a teacher looking, do you think Nixon taking the country off the gold standard and switching from Keynesian to a supply side was consequential to today? I used to think way definitely yes. I have since changed my opinion on that. I don't think it was quite as de- big a deal as I originally thought. I have a much more nuanced opinion on, on it. I do think it had an effect, but because the, long story short, because the U.S. dollar is the reserve currency generally of the entire wor- world, it's the most respected currency. I think that t- getting off the gold standard doesn't mean as much, especially when you're looking at other economic indicators. Um, that's just one economic indicator to look at when you're judging an economy. If I hope that makes sense, what I just said. Casey, thank you. Is there a reason Harry Bird wasn't included? Harry Bird? Uh, oh, because he got that one electoral vote or that once. Yeah, I never had a chance to win. So that's why I didn't include him. Sorry about that. I say F tier now, F tier. That's what the quote I was trying to remember earlier. Segregation now, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever. That was what he famously was. So yeah. George Wallace, I say, F tier now, F tier tomorrow, F tier forever. Thank you, the Ethel uh, Reality. Thank you for that. And Prendel Boatry again. Thank you. Just do yourself a favor and look up. Uh, okay, I will. <laughs> Thank you, Jackson again. John Anderson and Goldwater have a lot of similarity in how they both shifted shifted leftward to embrace positions ahead of their time. Bingo. Jackson gets it. I love these comments from jackson yes (laughs) alex oh i know you didn't like where i placed some of these uh thank you for the super chat i appreciate that imagine if reagan's team hadn't interfered to stop the release of hostages before the election oh i know and a lot of that was like there was some shady stuff that went down we we only recently realized it uh, or found out about it and anderson dropped out in exchange for replacing mondale on carter's ticket carter could have won you are on to something there, Alex. That's totally, totally. Oh, Michael, thank you for the super chat. Kevin on the Wonder Years supported McGovern. Oh, I forgot about that. I've seen every episode of the Wonder Years. Uh, I should remember that, but interesting. <laughs> Great show. If you've never seen it, check out the Wonder Years. All right. Well, thank you all for the super chats. We're moving on here. Now we're on to the election of 1984. And... I used to think this is one of the nicest guys in American history uh, in terms of uh, whoever was in politics. Um, Then I had a really lengthy email from some random person who got me rethinking it because they had a personal encounter with him. But, you know, I still think he's he was a nice guy. Uh, Walter Mondale from Minnesota again. Walter Mondale uh, was vice president to Jimmy Carter during his term. Um, before that, he was a U.S. senator representing Minnesota. In my opinion, still one of the one of the best um, vice presidents in American history. He definitely, uh, indisputably, like most historians say, increased the power of the vice presidency because it still doesn't really have much power. But he made it much more hands-on. Um, so even if you don't agree with Mondale's political views, you know, you admire the fact that he was, you know, turned it into something that meant more being vice president. It used to, it used to barely mean anything. You know, there's hardly anything in the constitution about being vice president. Uh, 
he had kind of humble uh, beginnings. He was a he was in the Korean War. Um, he worked his way up in politics, Attorney General of Minnesota, um, and then yeah, civil rights. Similar to his, you know, he was kind of the protege of Hubert Humphrey. Um, similar to Humphrey, uh, well ahead of his time with civil rights. Civil rights, um, also just civil liberties in general. He famously was the the lawyer who argued uh, for Gideon and the Supreme Court case Gideon v. Wainwright. Um, but yeah, like uh, he was a compromiser, a coalition builder, worked with, um, despite being a Democrat, worked with Republicans all the time. And uh, very, I like how he handled himself and the how he campaigned and everything that led up before and after the election of 1984. Just a, a class act, um, if you go back and actually you can see a lot of those debates and his speeches during that time, the way he campaigned, it was refreshing by today's standards, to say the least. Uh, so I would say Walter Mondale, still one of the best failed presidential candidates we've had. Um, you know, would we be would he be a, a good president? It's a little bit more up, up in the year. Um, I don't know how effective he would have been necessarily i kind of go back and forth but you saw the coalition coalition building he did in the senate so you got well he surely would have done fairly well um so i think i put him at an a for that reason all right lots of a hey we're, we've been way more positive lately than negative so how about that all right, so uh, now we're uh, finally up to our first person who is uh, still alive, still with us, and that is Michael Dukakis, who was the runner-up in the presidential election of 1988. Uh, he ran against George H.W. Bush, George Senior, George Bush Senior, who was a Republican. So Michael Dukakis represented the Democratic Party. It was a Fairly close election compared to at least 1984 and 1980, but still an uphill battle for Dukakis. Dukakis never really impressed me that much. And just, you know, I know he may be watching or his relatives are watching right now. I know he's in his 90s at this point. Um, he was a good governor, a very popular governor, actually, governor of Massachusetts. I just think that, like, he played it too safe in 1988. He had a bunch of empty platitudes, What didn't really stand for too much. He appeared way too weak on a lot of things. Uh, and I just feel like the can't, I mean, maybe he would have been better than I expect. If, but if you just base it on his, the way he campaigned, just like, it wasn't doing it for me. I don't know. I, I, I just, uh, it's not like I was a big George H.W. Bush fan. Like I was alive during this time too, by the way. But like, it just like, okay, Dukakis, what do you got for me? Um, yeah, so, I mean, I don't know if anyone has any good arguments in the chat, but I just can't find anything compelling that, um, compelling evidence that he would have really done much different than George H.W. Bush did. Um, and the, the things that he did disagree about with Bush Sr., I disagree with. So I would probably put him down as a C, C tier for Dukakis. And of course, you're forgetting uh, the meme basically of him in a tank. Just search Michael Dukakis in a tank. He was trying to appear big and tough uh, because of the perception of him being a like weak candidate. 
And so he decided to do a, a photo op with him in a tank. And that actually backfired tremendously. Poor guy. But he's still alive with us. A, a good person. Just I thought I don't know if he would have been that effective as a president. In this era, boomers had around 20% of the country's wealth as adults with class inequality worsening for every generation. Is there a breaking point soon? Andrew Aslan, thank you for the super chat. Absolutely. We're going to be seeing that breaking point very soon. About 50% of um, Congress currently is uh, a baby boomer. And so we are overdue for kind of this big shift. Um, I think we're going to actually see a lot of change politically. And it's not going to be just people on the left. I think you're going to see um, people on the right join forces with people on the left when it comes to economic issues. I really do predict that. Um, we're going to see something similar to probably the populist movement of the uh, 1880s, 1890s. That's what I think we would compare it to. Because, you know, there's a lot of parallels there with the extreme wealth inequality. This distrust of the so-called elites and... Uh, both Washington, D.C., but also on Wall Street and uh, with big multinational corporations. So, yeah. Andrew, again, man, thank you again. Walter Mondale, S. Thierry, also he was protege of Hubert Humphrey. Yep, you, you bet you was. Leviticus Prime again. Thank you. There are still too many people in this country who think that Barry Goldwater was a racist when he wasn't. That is true. He was actually probably ahead of his time when it came to racism. Uh, he was very open-minded when it came. It's just, you know, again, we it's the media of the time demonized him so much. I'm glad that you recognize that. Alex, again, fun fact. Thank you so much, Alex, by the way. Uh, fun fact, Dukakis almost became a U.S. senator. He was considered a, as a potential appointee after Ted Kennedy died. I must have forgot about that. Thanks for bringing it to our attention, Alex. I love the fun facts. <laughs> uh, Angus, thank you. Three out of seven election losers from 88 to... <laughs> The 12 are from Massachusetts. Yes, a preview of what's to come as well. Um, Massachusetts didn't do so well. It's the Ken another part of the Kennedy curse, isn't it? Uh, no Clarence Thomas and likely no Sam, Sam Alito. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, Bush Sr. Um, those are like my two, I'm, my two least favorite justice, justices right now. Yeah, and so... Hmm. Good point there. Okay. Back to this. We are up to the election of 1992 and one you've all waited for. Probably many of you. Where am I going to put Ross Perot? So you had Bush Sr., uh, Bush, uh, George H.W. Bush running for re-election for the Republican Party. You had the up-and-coming rising star Bill Clinton, who got into politics basically as soon as he got out of law school. Uh, was the youngest governor in Arkansas history, I think. And then now he's like, yeah, extremely popular with the Democratic Party. And then you have a third party candidate who, who really is like, it's hard to categorize him. Ross Perot, he's running as an independent. His campaign is entirely self-funded. He's a billionaire entrepreneur who he doesn't like some of the things Republicans are doing. He also doesn't like some of the things Democrats are doing. He buys infomercials on uh, TV to get the word out about his campaign. And because of this, it becomes very well-known and polls really high. 
and then inexplicably decides, I mean, there's an explanation, but to this day, I don't think it's good enough, leaves the race a few months before in 1992. But then he, at the last, in the last month, he re-enters the race, which really hurt him big time. But I, I mean, I was a kid, uh, I, I was, uh, you know, like 10 years old. And I remember Ross Perot was like the first presidential candidate I remember liking and getting excited about. I was like, also, it was just cool to see a three-way race, you know, like I felt like democracy was represent a representative democracy was working better then. Um, but Perot did, uh, he lost, but he got 19% of the popular vote. He didn't get any electoral votes, but um, a true outsider to the system, to DC politics. I mean, yeah, he bought his way there. <laughs> Essentially, he was, again, he was a billionaire. He spent tens of millions of dollars of his own money to buy up these commercials to spread the word about his campaign. But he was, he had great ideas. Some of these ideas were common sense. Um, and he, he brought this fresh perspective that I think was definitely needed for the time. Uh, he was, he wanted to uh, expand democracy. He did have a lot of focus on balancing the budget, which was starting to get out of the, out of control at the time. My favorite part of his platform was that he wanted to end the influence of lobbyists and special interests. He was also critical of supply side economics that had become so popular um, during the Reagan era, Reagan era of the 1980s. Uh, he was actually cool with protectionism. Now I, I, I'm against protectionism generally, but I understood his rationale quite well. Also, he was, uh, you know, cool with the war on drugs, but everybody was against the war, or everybody was for the war on drugs back then. So I'll, I'll give him a pass on that. Um, but also just a, a charismatic, likable guy, um, passionate and uh, kind of awkward sometimes, though. <laughs> and you, but you could tell his heart was in the right place. Um and so, yeah, I think he was a pretty solid. Uh, actually, the more I learn about him, the more I'm just like, yeah, I think we would have been way better off with, with him uh, as president. I think Alternate History Hub did a video about what if he won. I think he did or somebody did. And I, it's a fascinating video if you get a chance to check it out. Um, I think he's an A tier. And you see a sticker behind me, Ross Perot. Still have this, 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 uh, let me put them up here, uh, first. All these people in suits. Okay. Uh, yeah, let me put the big screen on here. There's my Perot for president sticker, um, that I got from my father-in-law, but his, it was his mom that got the sticker. She was a huge, uh, Ross Perot fan. That's my wife, Mrs. Beats' grandmother. Um, and yeah, you just appreciate the the kind of the outsider mentality that Washington needs. You know, uh, every so often. Um, wow, I've been doing this for over three hours now. I'm almost done though. Almost done. Okay, and the power didn't go out. The thunderstorm passed. I love it. So Ross Perot also ran in 1996, but uh, did not do nearly as well. Only 8.4% of the vote. So next up is 2000. 
you had um, George W. Bush, the son of George H. W. Bush. Um, George W. Bush, of course, uh, he's popular, but also it's like, yeah, there's a lot of people. Do we want to do a Bush again? So there's some hesitation. His main running mate, or I'm sorry, not running mate. His main competition is Al Gore, the vice president currently with Bill Clinton, who had served the last eight years. And, uh, oh, we skipped right over Bob Dole. I was, oh, sorry. Let me go back to 1996. Sorry, I skipped over Bob Dole. How could I forget Bob Dole? By the way, I just released a video about Bob Dole. <laughs> Bob Dole from Kansas. Uh, they just unveiled an earthwork of Bob, uh, Stan Hurd created the earthwork of Bob Dole at the, the, uh, Dole Institute of Politics here in Lawrence. Uh, I live like really close to it. We got, we took. Of what would have been his hundredth birthday. Um, so yeah, Bob Dole, one of my favorite, uh, senators in American history up there with, uh, Nancy Kessebaum. Um, he, Bob Dole, of course, had a huge, I keep saying his full name because that's what he always said. Bob Dole, Bob Dole, Bob Dole. Uh, he was the Senate majority leader. And then when the Republicans didn't have power for decades before that, he was the Senate minority leader for a long time. Huge influence in the Senate. Uh, going back to 1951 is when he first entered Congress in the House. Um, somebody who served in World War II in the Army originally from Russell, Kansas, this tiny town in western Kansas. Um, somebody who clearly was to the right of m most uh, Democrats, even most Republicans. But he constantly, he, he just made a career out of working uh, with across the aisle, working with Democrats, forming coalitions, uh, creating compromises to get stuff done, to get meaningful legislation passed. Um, and just a, a very likable guy. Um, so I think, uh, you know, I, as a kid, I admired Bob Dole quite a bit. Uh, I appreciated his sense of humor, his, his wit, um, very uplifting and inspiring speeches. And he was able to do that, you know, saying, hey, remember why we love this country uh, and, and proving that, hey, the conservative movement doesn't have to be reactionary or um completely backwards <laughs> you know like uh conservatism is actually he made it clear that it was necessary for progress to be made you don't just recklessly change things you you need to take a take a pause and remember what we have and why we have it i think nobody in recent years uh epitomizes that more than bob dole anyway so i keep saying his full name dole I put, um, I would say as a president, he would have been uh, an A tier. All right. A lot of A tiers. All right. Okay. And so next up, yeah, now we're jumping ahead to 2000. So Al Gore, as I was saying earlier, vice president, uh, of course, Dole lost to Clinton. Clinton uh, was a popular president mostly, but he did have that. He had a few scandals, but... The biggest one was probably uh, what what got him impeached, what which was uh, perjury uh, for lying about his affair with his intern Monica Lewinsky, and this definitely Al Gore didn't want to be associated with that, 
and he kind of distanced himself from Clinton when he campaigned in 2000. Al Gore had been around in American politics for a long time. Uh, another guy who Gore had a good resume. He was a senator from Tennessee. Uh, his dad was uh, also an influential uh, representative in, in Congress for years before that. Um, uh, you know, environmentalism was always, he was most passionate about that. Everybody knows that, especially after he uh, was vice president. Of course, he made a big name for himself with that documentary and inconvenient truth. And ever since he's been, uh, I guess you can call him a climate activist, but you know, Gore never really was someone to me that, um, was like, I don't know, terribly, um, inspiring when he ran for president or charismatic when he ran for president, he kind of came across as a bit boring and you know, a straight-edged guy, and I think a lot of younger people couldn't really relate with to him. You know, he became cooler the, the older he got, actually, it seems like, especially when his daughter started writing for Futurama. But, uh, and he was, that's why he's in so many, uh, there's so many references to him, by the way, in that show. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think he also really wasn't policy-wise that much dramatically different than George W. Bush. And that might be shocking to hear because this is as recent as 2000. But as recent as 2000, the, the, the two major political parties still weren't radically different from each other. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, as president, would he have done things differently than George W. Bush when it comes to the Iraq war? I don't think so. No, I think he would have went to war with Iraq. Um, would he would have handled the recession differently? I don't think so. I think a lot of the same things would have still happened. Um, Katrina, would that be handled differently? Yeah. So I think he would have had the edge over it. Like, but still, like, I don't think people like they like to put Gore up on this pedestal. Now, obviously, climate change is the biggest issue that we probably would have seen. But I think his power would have been limited with, you know, Congress is really up to that. I mean, he could have been uh, the bully uh, pulpit type president like Teddy Roosevelt and said, Hey, you're going to pass this legislation. We're going to stay here till we get this done. Uh, I don't, I don't think he would have done that. I don't think he really, he did. He just does not come across as like this really uh, powerful leader. So I think he's a C I'm sorry. He's just a C Al Gore is a C. I don't think much would have actually gotten done if he was as uh, in there as president. Now, I, I hesitate. I might put him as B. I go back and forth, B and C. I'm sure some of you are like, whoa, whoa. You should put him as A. Um, but, you know, and I know it's easy to say, oh, look how much better direction this country would have gone if he was in there instead of George W. Bush. You're not thinking clearly, okay? Let's see some of the comments. Man, bear pig. <laughs> true. That's true. I think so. I already think he's one of the worst justices in American history. A billionaire who opposed lobbyists? Well, I know, right? Ross Perot deserves his own pro tier above S. <laughs> uh, it's a solid, solid movie. Yeah. I own a copy of Eric Foner's Reconstruction. It's right behind me. 
you believe me. Anyway, uh, it's one of my favorite books. I recommend it. Uh, any good re history reading recommendations? I have a link that uh, to a bunch of books that um, I usually share in the description of the video, and I'll put that in the link of this this video. The Elf has landed. I missed a lot of comments here. Sorry about that. Okay, uh, so what are you saying about me only putting Al Gore at sea? I, I, I knew this was going to be my, one of my most controversial uh, takes. I don't think so. No, I think Al Gore, we would have still been in Iraq. I'm telling you, we would have still been in Iraq. You're, a lot of Democrats were on board with going to war in Iraq. A lot of them bought into the narrative of weapons of mass destruction. Yeah. Let's see here. Oh, someone says Al Gore says. I think he was better as a senator. Yeah, I think actually he was way better as a senator. I just don't think he would have been. He would have been kind of a meh president. Yeah, and you got to give him props on the issue of climate change. I just I wonder if he would have been able to get anything done about it. Okay, so the fact that both of them were kind of meant to me in um, in 2000, uh, that's why I voted for Ralph Nader uh, in 2000, and that's why I would put him as a B, Ralph Nader, because, you know, he was better than Bush and Gore, in my opinion. Um, now, the problem with not Nader is he didn't, have, he didn't have political experience, but he did have experience getting stuff done in terms of activism and, and specifically consumer protection and environmentalism. Um, and I think that, you know, this guy was passionate. Uh, you know, he only got like 1% of the vote, by the way, in 2000. So he didn't really have much of a chance, but I, I couldn't resist putting him on this tier list. Um, I got to see Nader speak a couple times. So uh, I never have officially met him, but, and he did run for president uh, three other times after this, uh, or no, I'm sorry. One time before, two times after. So he ran for the with the Green Party in 2000 and back in 1996 as well. Later, the Reform Party, and then as an independent in 2008. Um, and, of course, people accuse him of splitting the vote and preventing Al Gore from getting elected. Um, you know, there was a... I, don't, I think the spoiler effect is overrated. I'm highly critical of that. I don't think there's enough evidence to say that because a lot of people or don't vote into neat categories like we think they do. Most people couldn't care less about politics. Most people are not like us. You watching right now, they don't care about politics. And so they're really just like, okay, I'm going to vote for Democrat or Republican. No, I don't know, whatever. Um, they're not thinking too much about it. We just hear from the people that are most passionate about politics. We hear from them on social media but anyway, uh, I just think Nader was uh, the most passionate person who's probably ever run for president, um, dare I say, in terms of like he was really he truly believed in reform. And a lot of uh, he was ahead of his time and he still is ahead of his time. He's still alive. Um, you know, like. I think that uh, in, in terms of. uh Fighting for the underdog, a very similar um, path that 
Um, Robert LaFollette was before. I don't know if Nader's a fan of Robert LaFollette or not, but there's a lot of similarities there in terms of it's like, what can we do to stick it to the man to fight for ordinary citizens? Nader has dedicated his entire life to that. If you look at everything he's done, um, especially with consumer act protection and activism with, um, with that, like it's actually pretty inspiring stuff. So now would he be, be able to do anything once he was in there similar to Al Gore? It's like, I don't know. I don't know, but I think he would have shaken things up where we would have been forced to have conversations about things that we didn't have conversations about before. And in fact, in 2023, we're just now starting to have these conversations, stuff that Ralph Nader was talking about 23 years ago <laughs> when he first ran for president. And uh, you, there's something about some a politician who brings up issues that no one else is talking about. And then a generation or even two generations later, we're like, oh, yeah, they were right. We should have been paying attention to this a long time ago. That's uh, that's something that's you know, and it also takes a lot of courage too. So anyway, I know a lot of you are going to make fun of me for my where I put, but I even have Nader on here to begin with. <laughs> yeah, where would I put Ron Paul? I'd also put him as a A candidate, yeah, or A tier candidate. Okay, John Kerry. Uh, John Kerry was uh, two thousand and four Bush. Uh, was ran against him. Uh, George W. Bush ran against him for re-election. By now, the Iraq war is going on. Um, now, Kerry is critical of how it's been going down, but he doesn't say, you know, he's going to just like bring all the troops home immediately. He does not say that. Um, John Kerry, though, is impressive on paper. You gotta appreciate, I mean, like, he's still active, by the way. He's still alive. He's still uh, helps out with the Biden administration. Um, he spent decades representing Massachusetts um, as senator. Uh, he was a, also lieutenant governor with Michael Dukakis, by the way, before before that. Um, but you know, he's uh, also was somebody who's kind of dedicated his life to public service, and um, he investigated the Iran Contra affair. He, uh, I don't know. He, I would say that most people say he's part of the elites these days. Cause he's been in Washington DC for so long. And that's one of the criticisms by the way of Joe Biden. Like you spent your entire adult, adult life in DC. So yeah, that, that does, uh, scare people away. Um, but yeah, like, you know, policy wise, I probably agree with them more than I disagree with them on stuff. Um, in 2004, when I voted, I I was not very um, excited about either candidate again. Um, it was one of those things where I was just like, okay, lesser of two evils. And it's been lesser of two evils mostly ever since. Um, and it's kind of been my, like, mo like most of the, my adult life. It's been like that, sad to say. Um, yeah, John Kerry is younger than Joe Biden. Holy crap, isn't that crazy? That is insane. Um, but yeah, it, not particularly inspiring to me. So I would say John John Kerry would just be C tier for me. We only have three left. So we have Hillary Clinton, John McCain, and Mitt Romney. So 2008, 
2012 and 2016. Um, I decided to leave 2016 uh, Gary Johnson off uh, and Jill Stein off, um, even though they theoretically were polling pretty high in the in the early stages of that election. Um, so yeah, I probably shouldn't have had Nader on here. I just couldn't resist. I'm sorry. Uh, so yeah, 2008, you had finally, in my opinion, you had two solid candidates compared to the previous two elections. At least at the time, it was promising. Um, it was a, it was an exciting election. You had so many different, like it was a, such a diverse group on, in both the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. Uh, John McCain, uh, we all know Obama served eight years as president, um, actually pretty easily won the election in 2008. A lot of people excited to vote for the, the first African-American as president. It was a big freaking deal. I mean, I remember it vividly. Um, and I was really into that election, like every last aspect of it. Um, but John McCain, uh, in case you don't know, I mean, he passed away a few years ago, um, but he was a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. Uh, so a, a war hero um, went through some some hell. He went through a lot of bad crap in Vietnam. And then after he came back, he uh, dedicated the rest of his life to public service. He became a, eventually became a senator uh, representing Arizona. Several decades uh, in Congress going all the way back to 1983. So the experience was there. Um, both He had military experience, political experience political experience known as a maverick. That was actually a term the media used to describe him because he didn't quite fit neat into any category. Um, you know, my biggest pro like he would be ranked higher for me if it weren't for his foreign policy, his foreign policy was pretty bad. <laughs> Otherwise though, he was uh, somebody that compromised quite a bit, worked with uh, Repu uh, Democrats just as much as he worked with Republicans uh, sometimes a wild card. You didn't know where he was going to stand on certain issues, but because of the foreign policy aspect of it, that brings him down for me, uh, from a B to a C. So a C for John McCain. And then, uh, in terms of 26, uh, or sorry, sorry, can't forget 2012. We have Mitt Romney, uh, the runner up Republican against Barack Obama running for reelection. Mitt Romney was similar to John McCain on a, a lot of issues, um, although less um, less like uh, less of a wild card, more predictable, more in line with like traditional, like you know, always talking about how are we going to cut Social Security or reform it. He, he would use language that was more flowery, but just like. What can we do to balance the budget? You know, that type of stuff. You don't know who Mitt Romney is, though. He's still, he's, you know, he's in the Senate right now. Uh, he's a senator representing, representing, representing uh, Utah. Although he, before he ran for president, he made a name for himself as governor of Massachusetts. Uh, his dad was also in uh, politics. His dad, actually, I was quite a big fan of his dad, George Romney. Uh, George Romney was governor of Michigan. <coughs> that's where he, that's where Mitt grew up, um, was Michigan, but then he moved out to, to, uh, Massachusetts. Uh, Mitt Romney is a member of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, a Mormon. 
for lack of a better way of putting it. So that was crazy that he got as far as he did, uh, almost becoming president, uh, even though this religion is not a mainstream religion that's not, it's kind of a more controversial religion in mainstream America, I would say. But Mitt Romney, a nice guy, a really nice guy, uh, somebody who does have integrity, I just think has kind of a bunch of bad policy ideas. And because of his bad policy ideas, I would put him down as a D. <sighs> Although, man, yeah. Some company he's with down there. It's weird to see him down there. <laughs> uh, and then uh, finally, before I get to Hillary Clinton, let's check out the uh, let's check out the chat here. I don't know. That's debatable. I think No Child Left Behind also had bipartisan support. So I don't know about that Emperor Tiger Star. Oh, man, this sounds like a reference to The Simpsons. Abortions for some miniature American Flash Brothers. <laughs> Thank you for the Super Chat, Jack L. Uh, all right, and then JP, thank you. The Gores are why we have parental advisor stickers on rap music albums. Yeah, Tipper Gore in particular, the wife of Al Gore. Yeah, pretty lame, huh? Leviticus again. Thank you, man. I don't think Gore would have knowingly used false information to trick Congress into supporting the one... I, and, I mean, that was mostly, though, like, I mean, think about it. Colin Powell was out there promoting this stuff. A lot of people were, may have been masterminded really by Dick Cheney. And yeah, Dick Cheney wouldn't have been there if Al Gore was there. It would have been Lieberman. So maybe you have a point there. Um, yeah, that's that's a fair point. That's a fair point, man. Dante, again, you're still here. Uh, Want to hear something neat? I met Ralph Nader. Oh, that's amazing. That's See, I got to see Ralph Nader speak in 2008, and it was just like, there's just 50 people in the room, so it was pretty intimate. It was cool. Uh, and also Joe DiMaggio when I was a kid in high school. Holy crap. That's amazing. Huh. Legendary Joe DiMaggio. That's awesome. Jarrett, thank you. If, if a president was in prison, then elected, do you think they could pardon themselves? This is debated by legal scholars. Uh, I would say most, probably about 60% say no. But there's that 40% that says, ah, technically maybe they could. It's kind of one of those things. The problem is this never happened before. We don't have, um, you know, much direction from judges. Or, or, you know, we're kind of like, okay, we're in new uncharted territory. So what do we do? Yeah. Um, in my opinion, I don't think they should be able to pardon themselves. I don't think anybody is above the law, but, you know. Uh, Bernie, I would also, I mean, I would put Bernie also at probably uh, an A. Um, you know, I liked him just as much as Ron Paul. Yeah. Uh, and again, they had a big effect on their parties. Um, like Ron Paul, a lot of his supporters became Trump fans which I still don't understand, but eh, kind of understand. Um, that obviously was not me. I did not go that direction. But And then Bernie, uh, look at how much further to the left Joe Biden has become. And it's because of that movement started within the, the, within the Democratic Party, started by Bernie. Okay, uh, so that leaves Hillary Clinton. So drum roll, please. Um, 
Yeah, so Hillary Clinton, um, yeah, she, the wife of Bill Clinton, who was president, um, she is extremely intelligent, still alive, still with us. Um, she was also a senator for representing New York from 2001 to 2009. People forget that. In the Obama administration, like she ran against Obama in 2008 first for president. Um, but Obama was kind of like, kind of he kind of came out of nowhere and like he won. He was very close, but he won the uh, the primaries. He got the nomination for the Democratic Party. But Obama was like, hey, you want to join my administration? Uh, Clinton was like, sure. And she became the uh, secretary of state in the Obama administration for a few years. Um, and then she was kind of seen as this like, as next in line. So for the 2016, now, you know, Bernie Sanders was not expected to like shake things up and run against her. And he was an independent anyway. He was an independent who was seeking the Democratic nomination. And she did not get the nomination as easily as most people thought she would. Um, and that was the, the reason why is because she was such a centrist candidate. Uh, in some ways, she was similar to Republicans in terms of foreign policy and even economic policy. And so because of that, um, you had this backlash against Hillary Clinton and also this whole nepotism aspect of it. People were like, okay, she's... And at the same time, it's it's kind of... It's confusing because we all desperately want there to be the first female president in American history. We haven't had a female president. We desperately need one. We have a female vice president, finally, at least, Kamala Harris. But but yeah, we've never had a female president. And so this was like the closest we got to it in 2016. And But she just was not inspiring enough people and I think it's because, I mean, she mostly ran is like, hey, I'm not Trump. I'm not as crazy as Trump is. I'm not crazy to the right. But she ran from the, the middle. And I think she would have benefited from running more to the left. The fact is that on most of her views, she's she's still very centrist, just like her husband, Bill. Like, they're not. Um, in fact, Joe Biden has is his record is much more to the left as president than I think Hillary Clinton would have been in 2016. And so that, that held her back. I really think it did. And uh, you even saw it's estimated that maybe as, as high as a million Bernie Sanders supporters ended up voting for Donald Trump in the general election in 2016. So long story short, Hillary Clinton, uh, again, very qualified, very intelligent, uh, this was like a good chance to finally have a, a first female president, but she just, she came across as out of touch with most American people. Um, and so because of that, you know, I would say I go back and forth between C and D, but probably more D next to Mitt Romney. It's just a big disappointment. Um, I would, I would have liked her to like move to the left, um, because what had happened is the Overton window had shifted so far to the right. Um, and I think the Democratic Party is just now finally realizing that, like, hey, uh, there's a, there are, there's maybe 100 million people in this country right now that are so fed up with how to the, far to the right the country has shifted overall. Now, that said, um, Trumpism isn't completely to the right. Um, it's also tapped into 
some elements of populism that are not to the right, that maybe are even more to the left that people don't realize. But on social issues, I think that's what gets all the attention these days from the Republican Party. So, yeah, sad to say that's it. I've been doing this for three and a half hours. Oh, yeah, you're right. George Romney was born in Mexico. If she would have made Bernie VP, that never would have happened. But yeah, she, she probably would have won. You're right. You're right. That's all she had to do. That's all she had to do. Oh, my gosh. I totally forgot about that. <laughs> Most libertarians are not really libertarians at all. They are states' rights activists and don't say anything when the state oversteps its authority. That explains, I think, a lot of the um, Ron Paul supporters actually going to Trump. Because, you know, he was very much a statist. But you've got to think of it like rhetoric, too, matters. A lot of people just fall for rhetoric. What, what politicians are saying, not what they're going to actually do or what they do. Yeah, so this probably confused the heck out of people. Um, this is all over the place. Um, you might think, actually, I'm more of, of a fan of Republicans than Democrats if you look at recent years. But really, I think it's mostly, yeah, I would put Bernie Sanders up in A. Um, this is just my personal opinion. But never forget, like, who I value more than anyone are these candidates up here at the top who you just can't fit really into a category but what, other than the fact that they did whatever they could to do what was best for ordinary citizens. Um, yeah, there's not as many F as I expe expected on here. <laughs> yeah, this is definitely a controversial list, though. Can't wait to see some of the reactions to it on social media. <laughs> They're going to hate me. I love it. I probably should have had more third-party candidates on here, but I will. Oh, where would Gary Johnson be for me? Um, I don't know. He definitely had some issues there, especially on the campaign trail. Probably between B and C. Yeah. Same with Jill Stein. They, they both lacked. I mean, at least at least Gary Johnson had uh, experience as a governor of New Mexico. That was pretty big. All right. Well, I'm going to wrap this up here. Thanks for uh, watching. I want to say uh, I'll download this and save it. And Oh, she was definitely too overconfident. Newsom would beat, would beat DeSantis, I think. Newsom is good at rhetoric. And he has more char charisma. Well, thanks for watching, everybody. I appreciate you being here. This was a, a lot of fun. It took longer than I thought again. Uh, but yeah, so um, Perot for president in 2024. All right, you all have a good night. Take care. Thanks for all the super chats, by the way. <laughs>